the problem I have is with dogma and doctrine because immediately it makes you ask the question, well, what are they hiding? The question, what are they hiding? With Mars in particular, it's definitely an energy of debate. So what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> get ready for some epic debate. <laughs> yes. Well, what are they hiding? It's very hermetic, and you kind of get the sense that myth is a living principle. And the word was, was with God. The word was God. Okay, so it's talking about rhythmic vibration. The more you look into it, the more you see the connections between words in English, French, Latin, Greek, Hebrew. You'll begin to, your, your mind will begin to expand. You'll be like that drop of oil, like that drop of oil on water. Oh. You know, boom. And once you've got the ability to see language, you've also got the ability to use it. And when you can know how to use language, then you change the world. That's magic. Confucius said, when lo words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom. That we're in that. When the yes. Western political system is exactly what it is. Exactly, you're in that now, you know? And all these wonderful rappers and people who are kind of they're, they're, they're trying to express themselves yes. through the of words, but get them to expand their vocabularies yeah. and see words for what they are. Get them to start using medieval words. I know that sounds really absurd, but get them to use, start using them so people then feel inspired to go back in history to look at the meanings of those words, and suddenly you will actually wake people up. And suddenly you will actually wake people up. Hey, Firetrap, how are you? You're doing good? You're doing great? Well, that's wonderful. You're having an okay day? Mediocre? To say the best? Well, that's okay as well. You know, it's inevitable. We're getting into some celestial news here today on our RFTA news segment. And a lot of these, a lot of these emotions you might be feeling could actually be correspondent to some of the space weather. So look forward to that in today's episode. Also, we are interviewing a one of my favorite authors. I've been trying to get him on for quite some time, David Elkington. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm so stoked you guys are here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Love you guys so much. So much love during this winter. We need to make sure we're putting extra work in this winter to resonate love. Because it's, it's always dark. Not as much sun. Even here in California, if you can believe it. Anywho... Let's get into it. And before we do, I need to do the traditional house cleaning that we do. Join our Telegram group chat. It's amazing. We have an amazing community there. You can find us uh, 
chatting about things, sharing books, sharing stories, sharing articles, sharing songs, videos, so on and so forth. And then you also have other amazing podcasters that we do work with that post in there so you can get all of the latest update information in the Telegram group chat. And the link will, of course, be in the show notes. And we are doing a weekly live stream on YouTube. If you haven't checked that out, it's called Sunday Slow Burn. We open the calls to anyone who is interested in joining and it gets wild it gets fun and each week we do a deep dive topic this week we're going to be diving into some folklore of fairies some of the famous folklore accounts and stories of fairies um and ancient ireland and some of the tuatha de danan and next week we'll be diving into leprechauns and see where the flow is going here so yeah check us out on youtube subscribe to our youtube channel if you like this show all the um all the all the podcasts are on youtube as well some extra video bonus content there so on and so forth and for even extra 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 juicy gravy bonus content be sure to subscribe to the patreon it's three bucks a month we have a i can't even calculate the hours it's like 80 hours at least of of content there of great shows and interviews that we've done so if you want to support us, that's the best way to do it. Three bucks a month really goes a long way, like more than you guys know. So I really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And something for you that you can treat yourself or treat someone else during the holiday season with a gift of clairvoyant work, psychic work. Now, what that means, what is psychic work, right? Well, you can listen to some of the interviews we've done with Sabaya to kind of understand what we're saying when we say psychic work, but it's psychic hygiene, making sure that your energy is yours and everything is in tune and place and helping with alignment, helping the hemispheres of your energy, make sure that they are aligned and working properly. And I'll tell you what, when she found me crumpled up into a tiny little ball of a man, <laughs> she helped me a lot. So I think she can help anybody she's an amazing worker vision switch dot space sabaya sogard you guys have listened to this show you have heard her before on this show please support her work but support yourself by doing that have a clairvoyant friend have a psychic friend have someone who can reach into your past lives and pull up pictures and stories about more of the archetypes that are ourselves that make up ourselves birth chart readings astrology all of those things are included in those packages so make sure you go and check out her website contact her tell her that you're from the fire tribe and get on it baby get on it well without any further ado we are going to dive into today's rfta news segment with kaylee burkana an astrologer and she is going to tell us about this new transit into the Sagittarius season and what to expect from the lunar cycles this month. Look forward to that. And then following that, we have a great interview with David Elkington, author, that has some secret surprises towards the end of it about some, well, secret surprises that I can't say, but he can say and he will say. He'll let you know. But let us just say maybe it has to do with some secret codexes that will coming up into the ether everybody so look forward to that and enjoy 
yourself. Enjoy your smile. Enjoy your love. Enjoy your brain. Enjoy your body. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your lover. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your dog. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy the air. Enjoy the tree. Enjoy things. You have so much to look forward to and so much to love inside of you. Get ready for some R F T A Like, uh, 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 we're going to go to a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex Jones had to pause the guy. Wow. More than once. <laughs> More than yeah. once. That's insane. Once. So crazy. I'll probably, I'll probably waste some time watching that today. Do a little, <laughs> do a little digging and see what's good. I actually, I did watch um, the, uh, the, the one that kind of got yay going again uh, with Lex, Lex Friedman. And somebody okay. was like, somebody was like, like, oh, what's going on with this? Like, they wanted to talk about it on a show. And I was like, I'm no yay expert. Also, I don't know who Lex Friedman is. But then I they sent me a couple of the, the videos. And I was like, <clears throat> listening to what Kanye was saying, I was like, this is a lot of this is true. Like, I'm like, I don't know what this guy's tripping on. Like, he unless he knows that he shouldn't be talking about these things online. Like the, there's, this is very obvious. This has happened to Dave Chappelle. It's happened to a lot of other uh, uh, people, yeah. black people in entertainment and it's, it's common. And so it's like, this has been going on for a long time, but anyway, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's happening. I think it's fun. I think it's a fun break in the simulated situation that we find ourselves in. It is. And the word, I think, so some of what he was saying to Alex Jones, like I haven't watched the the full thing yet, and this does tie into all of the transits that we're experiencing right now. So it's does pertinent. It? It's pertinent. Does it now? <laughs> it does. Fuck yeah, it does. Fuck yeah, it does. Well, let me preface with this, okay? So we're in Sagittarius season. That's why we're recording right now. We're in Sag season. We had the Sag new moon. Um, we've passed the first quarter square, and we're on our way to the full moon right full moon in gemini will be interestingly enough the full moon um will be on the 7th of december and that will also coincide with the uh, halfway point of mars's retrograde which means that the sun and mars will be exactly opposite from one another mars is halfway through its retrograde point let's go which, which also means that mars is as close to earth as it gets on that day or we are as close to Mars. Um, it'll be the brightest in the sky and super fucking strong. So <laughs> full moon exactly conjunct Mars retrograde, halfway through the Mars retrograde point. Holy shit. Like, bro, oh my God. <laughs> it's gonna be nuts. Um well, we'll yeah. make sure to record our moon mysteries. Oh wait, I'm I'm so sorry. I didn't I thought you were someone else because I I, I do this show called Moon Mysteries with this awesome fucking astrologer, <laughs> and uh, it's really it's amazing. I love it. Um, but I hadn't told you about it. I felt like you know because you're the RFTA Kaylee Burkana, you know, in house cheating on me. And then I have this other this other amazing astrologer, <laughs> very similar name, similar vibe. And I was like, I don't know if I if it's okay for me to bring this up or not. Is but. she exotic and Canadian too? 
Jesus, all of those things, incredibly Canadian and incredibly exotic. She she yeah, you, rubs mango like uh, along uh, the braids of her hair to let them shine and sheen with the the mango terpene. Dude, I wish we could grow mango here. That'd be badass. Gotta get yourself a greenhouse. I love mangoes. Do you guys have greenhouse on your farm? We oh, we have a greenhouse. It's it need yeah, it needs it more heated? insulation and it no, it's not heated. So oh, there yeah, you go. We're getting the yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> everything <laughs> is frozen as fuck right now. <laughs> let's uh, okay, so let let's let's legitimately preface this. I did start recording on a whim because we were talking about some interesting uh, happenings in in, okay. in the current news. So I was like, let's let's get some of that. I know in I here. jumped right into it. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so, but um. Hello, Fire Tribe. This is RFTA News. We are here yet again with uh, Madam Burkana. Um, RFTA News. News. News you can trust. <laughs> Angel dust. All right, you're supposed to say that, but it's okay. So here we are. Um, like Kaylee said, we are now officially in Sagittarius. So we are getting our monthly reading, our monthly energy vibes, celestial news. Um, super stoked. It sounds like there's a lot going on, but I mean, <laughs> you already kind of told us what we should be looking for this next week in the first week of December going oh, into shit. this end of the new year. Like shit is popping off. We're exactly halfway through the, the political scheme scandal of the elections and shit. So I really do feel like this winter is going to be, um, it's going to be very interesting. What What's going on, man? Oh man, there's so much going on. I'm excited. So yeah, we're, we're in Sag. Sagittarius, just so it, in case there are listeners out there that don't know what the archetype of Sagittarius is, let's start there. Okay. So as we're moving into Sag season, moving through Sag, actually, um, this is the archetype of the philosopher, the adventurer. Um, Sagittarius is a uh, glyph, or not, well, not their glyph, but um, the image is the centaur pulling back an arrow and getting ready to release it right Sagittarius is about the vision the the overarching quest for truth right it which is, is why associated with philosophy like I said and Scorpios and Sagittarius's are best fucking friends <laughs> and it's interesting that they they share that 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 cuss but I think how they go about disseminating that truth and looking for that truth is a little is a little different mm-hmm. but um yeah yeah those are two energies that are definitely they're not that dissimilar um but anyway so Sagittarius is mutable fire mutable just meaning basically it's all about change all of the mutable signs are about change um and uh with fire we're talking about passion we're talking about inspiration we're talking about like <laughs> well we're getting ready to light the yule log you know but uh so let's see where where do i want to even start with this when the the biggest difference okay let's start with this opposition since we came into this talking about the full moon the opposition the the 180 degree um, between Sagittarius and Gemini, the difference between these two archetypes, since they're both actually about learning, really, ultimately, um, they're a bit different. Gemini is about gathering as much information and as many different perspectives. Um, and there's this inherent two-ness to the Sagittarius sign and uh, and Gemini, sorry, there's an inherent two-ness to Gemini, right? It's the twins, but also to Sagittarius, there's this 
two uh, species creature, right? The human horse. So they both have this two-ness in them. They're similar, but different. Um, with Gemini, it's two figures that are separate that mirror each other. With Sagittarius, it's man and his animal nature in one being. And uh, so <laughs> there's there's so much there to explore with just those archetypes and with this opposition. But um, that's on seriously a, on a fascinating. Like they oh almost, yeah, we can go super deep into just mirroring that. each other. Yeah, that's that's super. Well, nuts. yeah, the 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 whole zodiac is really actually six signs mm -hmm. of polarities, six pairs. This is one of the things that makes the twelve sign system so freaking beautiful. Is they all are two sides of the same coin, every single opposition, um, and. A really fascinating way to look at it and think about it is what do Sagittarius and Gemini share? What are they the two opposite sides of? Right. So we can we can explore that for f hours. <laughs> but uh, let's let's keep going because this is a new segment, not a but, whole show. But, but, but might <laughs> I add, but might I slide something across to you because you just brought these numbers up sure. and something that like has been Word. It kind of blew my mind, but you're the perfect person to talk to. I brought this up to a couple people, and they haven't been able to really yep. uh, wet the whistle on this. But I was just getting into okay. the Keys of Solomon, the the Greater Key and the Lesser Key of Solomon. Fantastic books. Mm -hmm. um, talked about it on the Slow Burns and and you know in a couple other shows now at this point because it is it's supremely important to Western esotericism. <laughs> Solomon is in fact like the daddy of the Freemasons and and High Rosicrucian magic, um, but you know, there's this repetitive number of the number 72. And I was like, what is up with 72? Mm. The 72 angels, 72 demons, mm. the 72 thorns in the crown of Jesus, right? And I was like, okay, well, what's 72 divided by 12? And I was like, oh, it's six. What's 72 divided by six? It's 12. So I was like, that reminds me of like this shadowy mirroring aspect that you get from uh, from the zodiac itself, if you were to take it and 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 spin it like six times, you might get a ball. I start thinking about Ezekiel's wheel. Like he went and got taken to by these higher echelon forces, got brought back the complete increments of how to make it like a six-sided wheel. You know, um, so it's just like it, the zodiac is flat. You know how we consider it to be flat in one time motion, but does it have six sides all the time? Like these angels and demons are like archetypes, and I was like, but it sounds like they are playing these archetypes that we consider to be the zodiac wheel. And so it was like this number sim symbology, like it's got to be something there with the seventy-two angels and demons and that lore and the divination circle, right? And that aspect. I was so. What's your take on that? Fuck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sweet. I love it. I have, I, have, I, have, I have a quote for you. Um, it is true without lying, certain and most true, that that which above is like that which is below, and that which is below is like that which is above, to do the miracles of one only thing. There's more to the quote, but um, that's from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, particularly the um, translation from... Um, Newton, actually, who was Ooh. definitely more than just a materialist reductionist. We, uh, yeah, <laughs> he was fucking esoteric as shit. It was but, a but anyway, yes. any any yeah, anytime you have those kinds of numbers that are uh, relating to 
zodiacal, astronomical, astrological numbers. It's definitely all a part of the same mysteries. It's all a part of the same mysteries. Um, I'm not super familiar with all of that stuff that you were just telling me about. So now I'm really curious because I'm like, oh, there's definitely stuff to decode there. And yeah, those numbers absolutely tie into Zodiac mysteries for sure. Solomonic magic, uh, you know, who's one of the OGs, like he, like all of it is, is celestial. Like it's astrology to a T. Mm -hmm. Everything within the books, all of the sigils they were doing, they all correlate to Mm -hmm. planets and it's all planet magic. So Totally. Like that's so like I think yeah, yeah definitely let me know magic. yeah let me know when you dig into it. I'll send you the PDF so you don't even have to look for it I'll send it straight to you <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah dude but anyway so let's 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 keep talking about Sorry, um, this month okay yes. that's that's okay that's okay that's all okay Sagittarius gets excited about crown, stuff and it's like oh Jesus. let's talk about this crazy shit and it's a firm yeah. the crown of Jesus is in fact the zodiac wheel fractalized Word. Not everybody Kaylee said it so it's true. <laughs> I think so. But anyway, I think, yeah, okay, let's not get into that. But yeah, so philosophy, man. This is a great time to talk about philosophy. I love it. Um, And actually, in honor of Sagittarius season, I went to used bookstore and found a bunch of stuff that I'd been meaning to get, like some Anne Ride books, and even got this like giant tome (laughs) that goes into a bunch of different Hellenistic philosophers as well, because I've been studying Hellenistic astrology. So why not also study the, the, the things they were thinking back then too, right? So anyway, moving on. So this is an important part in the Mars retrograde cycle. Okay, we're at the exact halfway point for the full moon. Um, and having the full moon right on top of that Mars retrograde is really going to bring up and show, like showcase, it's like shining a giant spotlight on whatever themes Mars retrograde have been bringing up. Um, Mars and Gemini, again, just in case y'all haven't been paying attention, (laughs) has been really interesting for bringing up different points of view and different alternative facts. You can't see my air quotes, but I'm dropping air quotes um, (laughs) around various different subjects, like all kinds of different subjects. Um, On like a personal level, you know, there may have been things that you've been working on in the background maybe that's definitely a mars retrograde gemini kind of energy like writing um books or like comic books or different presentations or whatever and just getting them ready to um, be showcased or broadcast or published or whatever Uh, it could also just be like changing your mind on different information finding new perspectives and challenging those perspectives um with mars in particular it's definitely an energy of debate so what i'm trying to say is (laughs) get ready for some epic debate (laughs) um i've really witnessed this like information war like heat up um i think that's the best way to describe it Mm mm-hmm with different um like meme campaigns from all different sides just going like crazy Mm. and then of course we came in here talking a little bit about yay and the uh the conversation that he had with alex jones and uh, that interesting um popcorn show (laughs) that's been popping off i guess (laughs) um and really that is also bringing up this mars gemini energy of like hey here's a different perspective that most people won't even look at and i'm the perfect person to say it because i'm motherfucking kanye west bitch so so let's talk about it (laughs) yeah so let's talk about it you know um regardless of what you think about what he said these are still things that need to be discussed right and um uh and like 
like like you said he is bringing up very valid points like we can't be blanket demonizing or blanket worshiping like it's not Mm -hmm. one group of people is not angels and the other group of people devils right like we have to actually it's way more nuanced it's not black and white um so we got to we got to talk about it (laughs) uh anyway but let's uh let's move on from there anyway so really important full moon on the 7th of december it's gonna be a big one um yeah it'll be interesting i'm i'm excited i'm not gonna lie (laughs) Dude, this is I'm, exciting energy. What, what's me. a good uh, What's a good type of uh, energy to kind of offer um, at this at this full moon? Like, what what do we should be be going in with? So like, like, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, I would say actually, since it's a full moon, it's a culmination of energy. Like, it's the manifestation point or an up leveling. Almost, it's a completion. Right? It's like the the flower blooming and then getting ready to bear fruit. Um, so it's less about setting intentions and more just about riding out the, <laughs> the energy, mm-hmm. like whatever seeds you've already sown. Mm-hmm. Now you're kind of dealing with the, the consequences of that good mm-hmm. or bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that you could do, uh, especially since we have such a strong Mars is find And these are both signs that deal with movement, find some way to be moving around whether that's by engaging in some kind of like moving meditation, which is what I will always go to off like right off the bat Um, or literally like going for a run, like try and Mm -hmm. use the Mars energy in a physical way Um, and doing more of that will help you to not like blow up in a verbal way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's many, many ways you can go about doing that. Um, you know, yeah, go, going to the gym or fi- finding some Martian way to hit that, hit that hot yoga energy, class. Hit right. that hot, hot. Yeah, if yeah, you got yeah. a Bikram studio near you, you know, fuck Bikram. He's an asshole, but you know, the Bikram yeah. studio still exists. Hit it. It's a hundred plus, dude. That's I'm yep. stoked. Let's fucking do it. Well, yeah. what's what is it? Forty percent humidity and yeah, oh, it's so 40, good. Yeah, it's, that it's is warm. A deep, it's warm detox. and humid. Yeah, and the blood, you know, blood, yep. red blood, Mars red. You know, like get that mm-hmm. blood pumping, get yep. the blood flowing. Hundred percent. My Mars is in yeah. in Scorpio. Is that what's like the energy behind like if your Mars is like in Sagittarius or something? Uh, well, we. So we would need to go through all 12 signs for that. Okay. okay. <laughs> and it also depends on what house, on, on what on where it falls in the houses, right? On uh, your Monday mm, show, Monday. One 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 day I might go through the Mars signs. I probably should at some point. Um Yeah, there's a there's a lot of factors that go into that, but let's say Well, okay, so let's just focus on Mars and Gemini for now because that's where he is presently, right? And that's the energy that we're all dealing with at the moment, right? Everybody will have their own Mars sign and house placement. But with Mars and Gemini, since we're talking about, um, well, there's this, in, there's a there's a danger of information overload, right? Like if you think about um, one of the tarot cards associated mm. with this, the middle deacon, which is actually where Mars is presently, is the Nine of Swords. So the Nine of Swords, if anybody, if any of you are familiar with tarot, 
um, on the Rider Waite, especially, there's this image of somebody sitting up in bed with all these swords behind them, and it's associated with like insomnia, not being able to sleep, and overthinking things. And this is very, very true for the energy of Mars and Gemini. Um, so <clears throat> sometimes we can think ourselves into these boxes and just be thinking about all sorts of stuff that's totally outside of our control mm-hmm. right like if you're if you're if you're worried about um like uh literally anything that you don't have any personal <laughs> control over <laughs> you have to find some way to release that there's lots of ways to do this um one of my favorite strategies actually is um to you can either imagine doing this or physically, and I would suggest physically writing stuff out. You could write things out that you're mm-hmm. worried about that you don't have any control over, like say, for example, the uh, price of milk. I don't have any control over the price of milk. Um, <laughs> however, I can make friends with a farmer that will sell it to me mm-hmm. right from the gate, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always ways to work around this. But anyway, I don't have price. I don't have control over the price of gas. I don't have control over this, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, write it down and then burn it. Burn, it, nice. burn that piece of paper, right? Then you're engaging a couple of different Mars things and the Gemini thing, right? You're engaging the writing aspect of Gemini and the fire of Mars and then releasing it. So that would be an ex- actually an excellent, excellent way to use this full moon energy okay. to like release and purge some of that energy. So that's what I would do anyway. And something like in the... Do a little bit of, like if you're into like candle magic, you could do some mm-hmm. candle magic with that too if you want, mm-hmm. but... Um, I, I actually would, um, personally, I, I know I've, I've talked about this before, but I don't, um, typically engage in any kind of a, um, manifestation type spell work around the moons, Mm -hmm. um, because we, we, we spoke with my friend, Tom on moon mysteries you should definitely check out that interview tom montauk absolutely y'all go check check it excellent yes please talked we talked about how the moon cycles are tied to like psychic attack and uh interference from (laughs) other forces and i do fully believe that so Mm -hmm. i don't engage in spell magic around the moons but setting intentions and releasing Mm -hmm. things on a on a um a personal level totally cool with that and I do engage with that. So anyway, that's, that's what I got to say about that. Yeah. Like, I think, I think it's important to like when, you know, when people are delving into divination and things like that, there's, there's very specific elements for a reason. There's specific archetypes for a reason. There's, there's things that are safely tied and intertwined into um, energies. And so when you're working with the moon, there's specific things to do for and with that. And it, it needs to be carefully examined, you know, not just jumping into this. Like, you know, I've done, I've done a lot of very strange, fun things that I just made up on my own when it comes around the moon. And it's all been, it's all, mm-hmm. it's all been, it's all been <laughs> yeah. pretty good, you know, for the most part, but either way, like you do, you do want to, um, opening portals in your bedroom, motherfucker. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, I'm just figuring it out as we go. Um, but you know, I think what you said yeah. about like just writing something down and not even necessarily having it be a a an enchantment or a charm or a spell or a sigil, you know, like just having it be like literal thoughts and and literal things that you don't have control of. I think that's very safe, and I, I think it's it's a probably a good thing that we totally. can start to lightly do. And also, you know, maybe the um, I know they say this in the in the book of Solomon and other like. Writing is a, is an absolute divination. It's a tool. It's a magical spell. It is a form mm-hmm. of energy manipulation. And then 
paper itself is like a living product, living, breathing product that comes from the earth. Mm -hmm. And so then it goes as even deep as to picking out what inks you want to use. Like the ink, a lot of times, especially when you're doing spell work, would be like the blood of a screech owl or, you know, like caterpillar goop from a cocoon or some shit, you know, like any anything. But the intention behind every ingredient that goes into it will give you more of like a pure, um, pure working. I feel like, you know, because it's every element working together in that moment brought I together. really, I really love the idea of creating your own kind of ink. Cause then you're, you're engaging the water element there. Yes. That's super cool. Oh, that's cool. I like that. And then of the, course the burning takes it through fire to air. Mm -hmm. So very nice. Exactly. Like and then the paper is the earth element. Okay, you know why this is actually perfect to talk about this aspect of this, the spell work? So on the same day as the full moon, Mercury, who rules Gemini, moves into the first degree of Capricorn on that same day. Oof. So we're talking about, right? So we're talking about something traditional, right? Using some traditional practices, right? Like ancient spell working type stuff, but also practical and tangible on the physical mm -hmm. plane. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's literally engaging the as above, so below principles. And um, if you do it in a tr more traditional way, then that's totally engaging um, one of the archetypes of Capricorn, too. So that's super cool. I love it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, this yeah. this whole yeah. transit that we're in right now is like that's it's fun. speaking to my entire chart. Like these are all things that only <laughs> flood my chart is like is the uh, the Gemini, the Capricorn, uh, Mars and Sagittarius like you have some powerful Virgo placements, too. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Jupiter <laughs> in the sixth house. And uh, yeah. Um, also <sighs> Venus. So another important astronomical thing that's happening that relates to the astrological, obviously, is Venus will be visible really quick here. Um, technically, depending on where you are, start watching the Western horizon as the sun is setting mm -hmm. and you could very well see Venus for the first time as she's rising as an evening star. This is significant. Um, we have been tracking the Venus cycle since the beginning of goddamn humanity. Okay. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. her, re her rebirthing and becoming visible as an evening star um, is a really big deal. And where it's happening in your personal chart um, will have a big impact so that's, we don't have time to go into, into that right now, but, um, start watching for her. See, see if you can spot her on the horizon. She'll be really, really low. Cause she's just coming out from behind the sun and she'll be as close to a full, like as close to full as she gets. Um, I highly doubt <laughs> that most people listening will have a powerful enough telescope to be able to see uh, her fullness, but that's definitely a possibility. It's really cool um, how that works. But anyway, wow. Venus is always a crescent to the sky. She's never a full circle. But anyway, she'll be as close as close to fullness as she's coming out from behind the sun, being rebirthed on the Western horizon. So start looking at sunset. You might be able to see her. Um, and I don't know if you should be able to see Mercury too. Um, Venus will be far, far brighter than Mercury though. So it'll be obvious which is which. Uh, and Venus moves into Capricorn on, just double checking the date, 
Saturday, December 10th, if you're in North America. So December 10th. Yeah. So that's really exciting, actually. I'm stoked. (laughs) Me too. Um, I I am going to be looking out for that. Uh, Have a great, like what West? Oh no, the the Western Heart. Uh, I'm actually yeah West. Yeah Western. My East, like I'm in a I'm in a canyon, so like the East is perfect. Uh The sun rises here at next level. Everyone that comes here, stays here, is just like they go out and up to the patio to take uh, videos and pictures of the sunrise because that East spot is so good. But I turn around and then I'm just covered by trees over here. So Mm, um, still going to be, is there a short, is there a short way you can drive a way (laughs) to like get up to a peak or something like that? If it's gonna, you say on the 10th, it should, should pop up on the 10th. Mm, The the 10th, the 10th, she moves into the sign of Capricorn. Um, and it depends on where you are on Earth, whether she'll be visible or not, um, whether you're more north or more south. I'm an hour uh, and a half away from the so, coast. Like, I might just drive out to the coast and camp out in my car out there with my dog, you know? No, that'd be cool. Yeah, yep. look at Because uh, yep. the beach from... The, the stars at the beach, come on, y'all. You can't... You can't oh, deny. yeah. <laughs> no no contest. <laughs> no contest. Mad jelly. <laughs> well, um, let's see yep. here. Um, we covered a lot. I love it. Uh, and I mean, if you guys want more, so if there's of anything Kaylee, else I want to say about Sag season. Yeah, let, while you're pondering that, let me just tell you guys about Moon Mysteries. And we're going to need to get our next episode out with all this fun moon stuff uh, here in the next week or so so you guys should definitely go check that out people like uh people like that show the the mysteries of the moon go incredibly deep we have work for the rest of our lives on that um and we have some cool interviews coming up we we kind of split the show into two like one we'll talk kaylee will talk about the transits and then we'll go into articles and then the other one is an interview based so it's like different vibes different energy and so it's it's a great flow great show if you haven't checked it out yet you must you must on this very hour go and check the show it'll be i think actually um when venus becomes visible is when i'll launch the youtube and put out our videos for that as well Ooh, yeah i just decided that just now <laughs> i love that i love that see this is yeah. that type of uh that type of beautiful you know just for lack of a better term in a moment magic that you can do mm-hmm. <laughs> you know working with working with this stuff the astrology is like the some of the oldest forms of divination like our creme de la creme. it's the creme de la creme y'all and so word just just dig into your chart, dig into this, dig into Kaylee's channel. Moonday Tarot is the it's the fucking stuff, dude. It is the freaking stuff. It's stuffed. It's, it's a stuffed. It's a stuffed crepe. It's a stuffed turkey. It's a stuffed turkey. It's a turducken. All right. It is a classic <laughs> turducken, <laughs> stuffed inside a hog, stuffed inside a cow, stuffed inside a okay, an occultist. I don't know. Yeah, so there's there's one more very important transit that I have to mention before we end this recording, okay? On the 20th, Dece- 20th of December, um, as the sun will be in the last few degrees of Sagittarius, Jupiter, who is now moving direct, will be moving in Aries again. This is a big deal. 
oh my god, this is a big deal. So <clears throat> buckle your seatbelts. Um, now that Jupiter is moving direct, he's going to whip through Aries really quickly in the first half of the next year. Um, but uh, yeah, going from... I, I, this will be... In my opinion, this will be something that you'll be able to see and feel reflected in the news, but also on a personal level, for sure. Jupiter moving from from Pisces, dreamy, mystical, lost in the synchronicity sauce, Pisces, <laughs> also healing, etc. Um, and moving back into Aries. So it'll be like, all right, it's go time. So. Buckle up. Buckle up. For real, though. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's funny that this is all happening too, like right in the middle of, and I don't like talking about politics, but like right in the middle of the elections. Like I feel like. As above, so below. Okay. You know, As you above, know. so below. It, it all ties in. It all ties in. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I bet politics are going to be yep. nuts this winter. Like it, like it's already starting to feel it and looking forward That's to crazy. it, man. It's crazy. This is the best part about like about digging into astrology and and looking at this stuff is like you get to like call the shots almost before they happen like how and and it just seems to flow like butter sometimes like butter yeah it's really important to to i mean making predictions is is part of the work of doing this right it really is um i mean what there's a million reasons why you would do astrology and not do predictions, but (laughs) it's important, but it's also really (laughs) important to go back and check your work and see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, where you were right and where you were wrong and figure out why you were wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that's important too. Um, Yeah. I don't know. (sighs) Absolutely. I think that's super important with, (laughs) with, with everything. Cause it's like, you know, (laughs) It's such minute, like everything works. That's how you get better. Exactly. And like, you need to check your work. You need to have your friends check your work. You need to have your colleagues check your work, check your work. Like same with music, you know, like I send all the songs I make to a couple of my really good producer friends and I'm like, you know, what's up here? And then, you know, it's just the tiny, minute things, tiny, minutes, tiny, Mm. minutes, minutes, oh, oh, minutes. Um, anyways, uh, (laughs) uh it's been great kaylee uh you guys are amazing thank you fire tribe but kaylee let you know let us know where we can not only check you out but maybe get some astrological services from you like some birth chart readings and stuff mm-hmm. how's the best way for people to contact you to like really get to know their chart on a really awesome personal yep. level with you word the best the best way to contact me right now is through my email which is kaylee burkana at pm.me um so (laughs) i gotta change that my name is too long but (laughs) so kaylee is spelled k-a-y-l-e-i-g-h burkana is b-e-r-k-a-n-a at pm.me um that's honestly the best most efficient way to contact me right now Mm website will be coming soon i think but um yeah other than that i'm on youtube right i have youtube channel and an odyssey channel um basically the same stuff on both of those 
under the same name, Kaylee Bricana. Also have a Telegram channel with a, a little group attached to it. So if you're on Telegram, come find me. Uh, again, Kaylee Bricana. I am the one and only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all, all other imitators are just imitating. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, those are the best places to get in contact me with, with me at the moment. And um, yeah, I am absolutely offering natal chart readings um and if you uh, have already come to me for a natal chart reading and you're coming back for a second reading to look at different stuff or go deeper to the chart um i offer a discount for repeat clients obviously so that is a thing and uh yeah awesome let's uh let's get freaky <laughs> I love, I love it. I love the way she does it. Embrace the cringe. I've had, I've had, you know, people read my chart before and gone places and done things and so on and so forth. But I really, really enjoy your introspective, uh, way of, of going about the readings. Like I, I love it. I like, and plus she's, she's great on history she has like history and like other sim symbolic understanding she dives deep into esoteric stuff so it's like it's it's awesome like the way she does it is perfect for anybody who listens to us and is part of these shenanigans like i think it's it's just you know I, it's amazing it it it, it helps it helps knowing your chart and understanding these archetypes it's helpful it's awesome it it's insightful and it's important so it's something that we're trying to make relive in again and within our community so um mm -hmm. it's always an honor kaylee and uh un until next oh let me ask you this before we go okay okay <laughs> mauna loa to start a flowing oh Hawaii, yeah right yes. same day same day there's tornadoes and hurricanes i know it's like kind of stormy season or whatever and snowing on the other mountain and snowing on the, the mauna kea yeah. and so and then there's Is, tornadoes happening in the midwest here there's snow happening like we're hitting like it seems like the earth is going through like a big stormy thing like it's like the mm -hmm. atmosphere is like jumped up so i was wondering what, what's been what what happened what did i miss last week on that you know like what what was going on for that Personally, I think that at, that has a lot to do with um, the energy that the sun is putting off and sending our way, right? When we when we get hit with more um, like higher rates of like um, uh, solar energy, literally, um, we experience crazier weather on Earth. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely one thing. Um, but also like just on a symbolical level, like as Mars is going through his retrograde cycle, we're moving. So I'm not a flat earther. Okay. So but if you are a flat earther, this is not going to make sense to you. And I encourage you to come up with a model that does make sense. But anyway, as Mars is in retrograde, what's actually happening is we're moving in between the sun and Mars. So as we're passing, passing Mars, he's coming closer to us. We're getting closer to him. So it's intensifying this Martian energy as well. So it's kind of a bit of a, um, a double whammy if we're getting hit from one side by these solar storms. And we're also getting closer to this Martian God of war. <laughs> That's going to naturally heat things up for us. Um, but I love the symbolism of the two different volcanoes. One, covered in lava and fire and the other covered in snow. It's like a really beautiful way to illustrate this, this duality nature of Gemini and volcanoes, Mars. 
fucking beautiful. I love it. <laughs> these these twin volcanoes. Yes. Um, going through opposite experiences. It's really really cool. Yeah. And symbolic AF. And it's been. Uh, I, love gosh, that. I can't remember the last time that Mauna Leo flowed. But like the number was. They said thirty-eight years ago, something like that. Was it thirty-eight? Because it was thirty-eight or thirty-seven, I think. I forget. But yeah, I've been really enjoying the pictures coming out of Hawaii. That's so cool. Yeah, November twenty-seventh. But before that, first ascent was seventeen ninety-four. So on and so forth. Nineteen eighty-four, March twenty-fifth, nineteen eighty-four at one twenty-five a.m. March 25th, 1984. It's 38 years, yeah. Just like the 1984 is just ringing a bell in my head. Oh, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, March. Uh, anyways, that, it's, there's so much to get in there. We're going to record some mm-hmm. moon mysteries soon. So if you guys like the way that Kaylee, Kaylee gruffs her stuff, the way that Romy is a, rid- a ridiculous, redundant boy, uh, and these energies flow and transmute into some sort of cosmic snow, then go check us out on Moon Mysteries. Um, until then, enjoy this interview with David Elkington. The guy is a legend, and this episode is going to be great. Uh, thank you again, Kaylee. Thank you, Roman. Love you guys. Peace. Everybody, welcome to Rising from the Ashes. It is me, the homie Romy, and Dan is not here today, and that's okay because with us I have a guest that I have actually been trying to get a hold of for quite some time. Finding your email online was not easy um, and had to get referred your contact information after you were on one of our good friend shows. Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy. So thank you so much, Mark. And today with us, we are honored to have David Elkington. Hello, David. Hi. <laughs> it's good to be here, and I'm so sorry you've had so many problems finding my email address. I I do have a tendency to keep quite a low profile, uh, but in as regards my latest project, you'll understand why. Oh, oh, I can't wait to get into that. Before we do get into that, um, I was hoping that you can um, enliven people to some of your history, because the book, the one book that you've written that has just captivated people in this realm of alternative history and understanding sacred sites uh, is beautiful. And I would love to know how you got to creating this book, how you got to creating and finding out about these sacred sites and what really piqued your interest, starting back as long as you want or as recent, as much as your history as you'd like to share with us. We are here for it. It's a good question. Um, and as you're going to give me the space for it, I am going to answer it in at length. Um, <laughs> Uh, because uh, you've given me that leeway. So, 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 so the blame is yours entirely. Um, I, I, I was um, lucky to have... I, I came from a mixed family, as it was called back in those days. My mother was Irish and my father was English. Um, and in those days, if a Catholic married a Protestant, it was known as a mixed marriage. Uh, my father said to me, he said, on the day he got married, he was told he, you know, 
they looked down upon his mixed marriage. And, you know, he looked at, at mum and mum looked at him as if to say, well, did well, one of them have different coloured skin or whatever, you know? But no, it was just, you know, two guys, two Anglo-Saxons from the same sphere, yet you had that kind of prejudice already there set. So the reason I say that is because, you know, I am half Catholic, half Protestant, uh, with God knows what else in my genes from, from various grandparents, great-grandparents, you name it, um, because England is, is kind of like a compost heap, you know? We have, we've had immigration <laughs> since year dot, and, and I've managed with my family to rise to the top of that compost heap, <laughs> and in my blood is the blood of many generations of, of, of peoples from all over the world. You know, so so um, it'll be interesting to dangle a piece of DNA, uh, my DNA, in, in front of the mirror to see quite what comes out, because I'm quite sure there'd be loads and loads and loads of different nationalities, genes and, 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 and religious persuasions, etc. you know, because that's the glory of, of who we are. So from an early age, because my father was Royal Navy, I was taken down to the Southern Hemisphere where I encountered people like the Aborigines, the Maoris, etc. And from a young age, I just basically got to to kind of hang out with these extraordinary people. And, you know, um, in those days, you kind of had a colonial empire that was mm -hmm. coming to its end. Mm -hmm. but, but later on, I mean, I have to say these remarkably profound and somewhat beautiful people began to have a real effect upon the way in which I was thinking about things. Now, the key point here is that thanks to my Irish genome, I was born dyslexic. So I had an inability sometimes to, to see words when reading. And basically, um, you know, this, 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 this kind of was, oh. was beginning to affect my performance at school. And so... Um, the Aborigines taught me that when I was reading, I had to sing. That's beautiful. Sing, yeah, and I and I then you see the rhythms, then the words begin to appear before you, and that's precisely what happened. Okay. Now it's interesting that in in Middle Eastern uh, languages, in in Hebrew and mm -hmm. Arabic, there is no dyslexia because they read from from right to left, not left to right. Okay. So that kind of gives you a bit of a clue. Whereas in the West, dyslexia is treated like a disease and illness and you're different and you're, you're shushed away into a corner because, oh, he's weird. You don't want to go near him. You know? And yet dyslexics are profoundly... Learning disabilities here in this country is is so backwards, just like the reading and, and everything, you know, like to treat people that have disabilities as opposed to special extra abilities of learning is just it's a whole other topic and I, I had to butt in there just to say that because it does it does irk me quite a bit quite right too and 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 it's the experience i've had too and and the, the, uh, it's an experience i continue to have because i still have that ability to see things the other way around which really annoys my academic um uh, peers to a certain degree because you know, sometimes I can get to a, the, 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 um, the answer quicker than they can simply because it appears before me. 
my problem is then I have to work out what the question is. <laughs> but they don't give me time for that. So, so you know, and the thing is, is that dyslexics are profound people. I mean, um, I don't want to sort of blow my own trumpet, but, you know, Einstein was dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we, we've got evidence for a lot of other guys who have done amazing things for being the same thing. Uh, and when I say guys, I mean men and women. I mean, don't don't get me wrong there, <laughs> you know. So 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 that kind of that whole thing really affected me. And of course, then when I was in my mid-teens, I came back to the UK. I came back to normality inverted commas, and the system kind of like was, oh God, you know, who is this guy? Um, what does he think he is? And you know, does he? He doesn't fit into any of the shapes we. We've cut into the woodwork. Um, oh, we don't know what to do with him. So I kind of went my own way. And uh, I went to, instead of going to university, I went to art school. And um, I took a degree in, um, in fine art, uh, which I never ended up taking at the end of the day. Because uh, <laughs> I, I mean, for the teaching, not for the paperwork. <laughs> and um, I kind of, you know, left and I went into advertising, film, TV, comedy writing, and all sorts of things. Kind of just, kind of just having fun, just kind of you know, skating around a bit, trying to find an identity. And then I fell in love in 1983, and that's yes, really yes, the best part of the story. Yeah, I <laughs> fell hook, line, and sinker for the most beautiful woman in the world. And then one day, uh, I think it was about six or seven months into the affair, she said, it's over. And my heart was completely smashed to pieces. Um, And I'm grateful to her because it completely changed my entire perception of the world. Um, What she had done was to take what was already with me and shake it all up. And that really um, created this kind of awareness in me that there's something far more to the world than, than what we're fed, than what we, we're told it is. Um, and I, the, the culmination of this, this feeling of, 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 of being heartbroken was um, an experience that I had in the chapter house of Wells Cathedral in 1983. Um, it was coming up for Christmas, And it's a large Gothic cathedral built in the 1200s. And as I went up the well-worn, the time-worn steps of the chapter house, I could hear a choir singing in this beautiful Gothic chapter house that was built in 1260, I believe. Um, And the resonances were just simply stunning so because can, can i can we just can i stop to ask you because this is the 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 the, the temple or the the chapel house like you say that captivated you this was like the first kind of like inclusive experience where you started to notice this thing that almost formed the concept of your book which which house is this and you said it's built in the 13th century which means it had real proper masonic influence and real builders behind it was it was it megalithic in a sense was it uh where was it located and and can you tell us a little bit more details on the house specifically oh i will absolutely no you're right to interrupt and uh this is at wells cathedral in somerset on the somerset levels not far from the the famous glastonbury which is only about five ten miles away Mm -hmm. 
And Wells is the most amazing cathedral. It's um, it's very large. Um, it is just um, what can I say? You walk in and um, you are completely transformed by the stonework straight away. Wow. It's got everything that you could require. I mean, if you wanted a vision of heaven, walking inside <laughs> Wells Cathedral is it. You know, it's got everything. And it is built upon an ancient megalithic site, for sure. Um, but going into the chapter house um, was just phenomenal. I mean, I've been many times before, but it was the first time I'd gone in this kind of state of mind where I was so bashed up that I was receptive, you know? Mm. And as I got to the, the top of the stairs there, just about to enter into the chapter house where the choir boys were singing their final rehearsals, I think, for the for the carol service, it hit me. And I suddenly, I had this, I can only describe it as an out-of-body experience. Um, and I was literally floating over them. Um, wow. Literally just... Wow. <laughs> I felt I felt like kind of like the like the the very notes they were singing crashing against the the surface of the fan vaulting of the ceiling, you know. Wow. Yeah. And it was it was the the wildest experience. And believe me, I hadn't smoked anything. You know, <laughs> it was just you know just that was just just me. And um, it kind of uh, was extremely emotional um, because my mind suddenly was everywhere at once. And it really broke me open. And, of course, it seemed to, to last for a very long time, but when eventually I kind of got back into my body, it was like it, a few seconds or so. But whilst you're in that state, you're in a timeless state. So it seems to go on and on and on, but in a very pleasant, remarkable way where you never want it to end. Mm. Years yes. later, I had a near-death experience where... Oh. Um, I was in hospital and fighting for my life. And I went through the same experience of going up the, the, the tunnel to death and, and being rescued by um, figures that seemed to be carved out of light and then being pulled from what was like a well. But once I'd, I'd gone through the, the viscous of the surface of the water, um, I was in a realm where I was everywhere at once. <laughs> there were no individual figures, but I was in a total state of utter consciousness. Wow. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And I it, it's quite remarkable how the the sense of 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 being dead on the operating table is very similar to having an acoustical experience at Wells Cathedral. Oh yes, absolutely. That's fascinating. Those parallels there, and in fact, they may very well be connected parallels when you think about the symbolic and um, deep uh, meaning of of that goes behind the truth of the sacred angles of building these buildings. But do you mind telling us a little bit more about this specific NDE? Um, you did just say it was on the table. Were you? Were you under some sort of uh, bypass or some some situation? I know I have a I have a collapsed thyroid gland. Oh no! Um, it's a fairly rare condition, um, and it had gone into total collapse, and I'd gone into a coma, and I'd gone into the crisis point where now my body had said, "Right, we've had enough of this. We're closing down." Wow! And um, literally, I was on my last legs. 
and my body, my heart had stopped. I basically was was on my way out. Oh wow! Um, and it was, I have to say, death is an extraordinary experience. I thoroughly recommend mm -hmm. it. Um, <laughs> Are you a Scorpio? When is your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Capricorn, all day enough. Oh, um, nice. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mountain climber, you know. Uh, though what the hell a goat could do with a fishtail, I don't know. But uh, you, you tell me. But. But what's interesting about the whole thing, though, is that is that you know um, it, it, it was not so much just the, the 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 experience itself, but the way it was trying to relate to here and now. It was kind of reaching out by saying, "This is reality." You know, we think we go from life to death, but actually, it's it's more it's more complex than that. Mm. Life reflects death, death reflects life. Um, in the Gospels and in, in certain legends throughout the world, what happens on earth is reflected in heaven, mm -hmm. you know? On earth as it is in heaven. Hermetic. And that, it's very hermetic, and you kind of get the sense that myth is a living principle, you know? And that's what struck me. Now, now, all those voices in that chapter house that were actually um, singing that beautiful hymn, I think it was William Byrd from the 13th century. Um, it was profound. And then it got to me. I suddenly thought, oh, gosh, words. You know, I don't want to be overly Christian about all this, but at the beginning of John's Gospel... Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God. The Word was God. Okay? So it's talking about rhythmic vibration. Yep, and the Word being a cadence, being a sound, being a, being a vocal expression. Exactly. Now, now the word, you know, the myth that we use for these places, there are myths about these places that are built, you know, all throughout megalithic Europe, there are myths associated with those sites. The word myth, in its original Greek, means that which was spoken. Okay? Oh, Who spoke here we go. Here we go. Yeah, right? And so it seems to me it's, it's shamanic. The shaman goes, goes through spiritual death. I've been through spiritual death. Jesus went through spiritual death. Thousands of people have been through spiritual death. Mm -hmm. You know, the Eleusinian mysteries, we've got the mysteries, uh, you know, in Egypt, throughout Greece, Anatolia, and all over the world, people have been through this willing death because they want to understand the greater measure of what is going on. Today, you've got people taking psilocybin, they're taking mescaline, because they also want to find out. They're taking DMT, you name it. Mm -hmm. They want to go deeper. They want to understand where we're at, why we're at. Mm -hmm. And look at the effect it's having. It's transforming our planet. And it's all to do with rhythmic vibration, with acoustics. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I, I'm looking at this Wells Cathedral here on um, just on Wikipedia. And it's fascinating. It is just iconically, undoubtedly, um, a true cathedral in the sense of the name uh and like you said it was uh built on an even earlier sacred site the church that was originally there was built uh in the eighth century um 
And then, you know, who knows? Because the timing that, like, a lot of the true Gothic cathedrals are being put up in that in that earliest 11th, 12th, 13th century, um, they were they were building on top of a lot of older churches. And so, to to go back even further, you just say this line of succession of churches stacked on top of churches. It's fascinating. It's fractalized. It's this spider web. This this tantalizing taste of 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 this deep resonating history that is and the understanding of resonant now before we go any deeper onto like the actual birth of your book let me ask you what was the uh what was the resonating experience when your nde and your near-death experience that like that kind of just what was that that final like aha moment of like right here, like this is, <laughs> this is death. This is life. Where is the severance? Is there a severance? Are we constantly dead while being alive? Like what I've never, I've never had the blessing to have, to have had one of these NDEs. So they really fascinate me. I've got to be honest with you. It was very mundane. Um, oh. I went into this realm. Yeah, I know. I know. But isn't it typical <laughs> of human experience? You know, yeah. that, 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 you go to see the great, the great, great glories, the great mysteries, and then you get to the very apex, and it's mundane. <laughs> um, it, that's 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 what it's the it's the humor of that that is it the is. real mystery. Yeah, you know, I, I've always said this is that you know uh, our, our, our our new king, King Charles III, said many years ago when he was Prince of Wales, he noticed that of all the deeply spiritual people he's ever met. They always have a very big sense of humor. (laughs) And do you know what humor is? Humor is where where you get the opposites meeting and overlapping. And in the overlap is where the truth resides. But here's the joke. Only you can know it. You Mm. try and tell that to other people. It's not going to work out. And that's the same with the near-death experience. It's like... um, you know, you've gone to a a, a, a a land, if you like, or a a dimension where it's beyond language. So I've come back here, and I'm being asked to linguistically identify what it was like. It's impossible. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm seeing colours I I don't see here on on Earth. I'm seeing and feeling things I don't I don't witness. What I can say is only in the negative, like. Oh, we don't have this. We don't have that. We are limited in in the the rhythmic vibrations of what we see. We're limited in the the amount of color we can see. We're limited in the amount of hearing. I mean, come on, look at the news. Look what animals can hear. Look what animals can see. Look at what they can sense. Good God, it's phenomenal. If we were to take a handful of dust before we suck it up the vacuum cleaner and chuck it away in the garbage, look at that dust with a new spectra in your eyes, and it would appear like many multiple jewels in your hand. You would treasure it because of the colour, the spectra, the, the shapes, the forms, the sheer sense of it. But no, we just chuck it away because it's dust. That's the nature of the human experience, is that we have to expand our experience of the world. Do you know the Greek word 
for the word, as used in John's gospel, is logos. From that same root, we get the word logic. So we have to be logical about things. But let's not forget one thing. We're very, very overfond in our modern world of actually um, reducing our logical view of the world, not expanding our logical view of the world. The James Webb telescope went up a few months ago and is sending back some of the most profound pictures of our cosmos, which are simply breathtaking, you know? But those same pictures are the same pictures that I was talking about of the dust in my hand, because you're only talking about cosmic dust, and there's not much difference between that and Earth dust. Why is it we have to travel many thousands of light years away to see the majesty of dust? You know, the miracle is here. It's, it's us. We've just got to change our, our vision of things. And that's what acoustics is about. It's about expanding our consciousness and getting, everything, you know, getting to see everything for what it really is. You know? Yeah, and yeah. when Christ says in, in, in the Gospels and when, when Buddha says in, in the Dharmapada and, and, and Osiris says in the Egyptian Books of the Dead, love just just look at people and and realize they're just going through their own experiences but understand that they are then you then you could overcome the whole thing with a sense of love you love the whole idea of of what they're going through what they're learning you love what you're doing what you're going through it's painful it's agonizing it can be joyful it can be amazing it can be outrageous but that overwhelming sense of love leads you to understanding that leads you then to wisdom and that leads you to a sense of unity with everything. That's really profound. And that's what acoustics does when you're in the cathedral and your mind suddenly expands. It's like taking a drop of oil. Sorry, a drop of, yeah, a drop of oil. And, 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 and you, do, you take it out of a dropper and you just put a drop of it onto a puddle of water and it just goes boom. And you see all these spectra, you know, the, the colors, and it's so beautiful. You know, that's before yeah. a car that comes by and splashes you with the whole down lot and the experiment's over, you know? So it's like uh, the way that, that I just got the visual for that, you know, like talking about the prism and, and the color spectrum, but it being brought out and diluted in the water. So, like, that puddle is something of its own microclimate atmosphere that we experience here but that little bit of oil gets dropped into it and then it just pallet. But then slowly over time, it like more comes into it. And it's just like this strange, like our atmosphere fascinates me of how it, how it digests. Like we're living in a body, a celestial body that digests just like our body does. But, you know, we're not taught about the different organs or the working parts of how the digestion is naturally happening and how things, you know, like how we might create urine, you know, or something like that. The byproduct, like what are these these byproducts from our atmosphere? Um, yeah. And they're yeah. all conducive to the life here. And it's crazy. I wanted to ask you about a question um, about one of your chapters in your book called A Crystal Called Home, because it sounds like a lot of what we're talking about kind of hones in on uh, a lot of that, the hearth of that chapter. <laughs> what inspired you to, um, to, to put that in your book? 
Well, um, it struck me that, that, you know, because most megalithic sites are actually built of crystal in the form of quartz and other rocks and stuff like, like that. Like geo geopolymer of sorts or? Yeah, absolutely. And, and more, um, you know, and, and these have profound properties, which the more you look at the evidence, the more you realize that ancient man, uh, humankind, knew about this almost instinctively. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, this is, this is very curious. It, 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 it's a profound thing that um, humanity emerges from the, the cave-like environment, if you want, okay? Because we have to come from somewhere. And the first thing we do is, you know, and, and this, is, this is obvious from the archaeology of ancient sites, is we, we don't build shopping centers, banks, schools, and you name it, you know. We build sacred sites. Why? You know, if we had just gone through an apocalypse, okay, and it's just you, me, and a few thousand others who were kind of going to, you know, build further for the future and, and pick up the remains, um, it might well be that we've, you know, got quite a few bureaucrats who have survived, and they're going to say, right, okay, we're going to build banks first because we need the money and we need to tax and then we're going to build schools because we need to re-educate our, re our children. But they're not going to build sacred sites because they're going to think, well, what's the use of those? Mm -hmm. But that's what churches are. They're about getting back in touch. So, of course, you know, this is, this is what the sacred site was. It was a place that, that kind of um, echoed the, the coming schism between humans and the earth. We were now beginning to grow up but we still had our umbilicus attached to Mother Earth. And gradually, as we built these places, we were able to take a pair of scissors and snip the umbilicus, <laughs> and we separated from the Earth. Because these places were telephones, where we stayed in touch with the natural rhythms of the Earth. Mm. And as we, as we seceded from them, we began then to build our own civilizations with more confidence... And if you look at the way in which these places were constructed and then the constructions that came from them, there's still a love of Mother Earth. And you see that in the mythologies. You see? So, yeah. so, so you kind of think, oh, that's interesting. We're kind mm -hmm. of like pulling away from the Earth, you know? Um, and, 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 of course, you know, that's what so I found so interesting about the, the thesis as I was developing it, was that as we found acoustical waveforms from inside these places, when shown pictorially, were taking the form of script, then I thought, ah, oh, now we're going to have it. Mm -hmm. The hero, who is the, who is the son of the earth, is the, is the character in mythology who brings script, he brings the art of language, of words. Well, when you have words, you can therefore express yourself to others, and then you can develop philosophical and religious truths and so on and so forth. Civilization begins. Now, at first it was a hieroglyphic in form, but then later on it became alphabetic, Okay. Um, hieroglyphs require phonograms, logograms, and so on to kind of give you a sense of 
what the symbol means, where it's going, and how it should be pronounced. Then the Phoenicians developed the alphabet in around about the 1800s BC, and so you had one word which gives you both a sound and a meaning. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, bang, civilization goes boom. <laughs> and it's remarkable. As does the and now here we are living in the, in the modern world where we take words for granted and we don't think about the individual letters or anything. Mm-hmm. And what amuses me is is that everybody dismisses symbolism and says, oh, it's, it's a load of nonsense. Yet they're looking at symbols every day. The very letters of the alphabet are symbols. Thank you very much. I, so, I, I, uh, I'm writing, we have a, um, a blog, or not a blog, it's more of a zine. That, and the, the articles I decided to, um, to write on that, oh, sorry, one sec, one sec. Sorry, there was some some other background background noise on it. I just had to hit on this though because the articles I decided to write, I was like, okay, I'll do a successive history of the esoteric layout of the alphabet. You know, that's fun. That's twenty seven different articles. You know, that's a bunch of research that I get to get myself into, which is why we like to do these things, like podcasts, and have great conversations with amazing authors like yourself. Um, but I was got myself into so much more work than I had originally intended <laughs> and just going through and starting with first of all the letter a the monad of the cipher itself I, I was just captivated I was mind blown of just how every single like you said every single symbol in here letter symbol whatever you want to call it has not only a major archetype held behind it it has a magical history alchemical history, symbolic history, and a multicultural history, as well as the shape itself is resonant of like symbols in it too. So I just, I love it. I love it. And the script is so important. And then of course the sound and the resonance. Yeah. I'm so glad you've gone through that because you've done, you've just described exactly what I went through 35 years ago. Um, When I actually, um, you know, I, I suddenly got interested in words and then um, I ended up um, doing a, a private course of, um, of, of um, well, with a, with a friend of mine called Dr. Julia Sampson at the Egypt Exploration Society in London. And uh, um, she was the, one of the glass pupils of the great Sir Flinders Petrie himself the man who is called the father of archaeology. Um, and um, I got more and more into this, and we discussed things like the, the biblical connections with, 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 with the whole thing, because, you know, religions had a profound effect on, upon my family uh, in a negative way, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. The whole Catholic thing has been... It's, it's about brutality and nastiness and... I wanted to work out why this this kind of nonsense have to, has to happen, you know. And of course, you look further back through history, you see you see more and more of it. And I, I realize that religion is a kind of a a controlling principle, mm-hmm. but it can also be a good thing, in the sense that that it can inspire and provoke people into looking at things very very differently. 
Um, and I, I think that's that's great. But the problem I have is with dogma and doctrine because immediately it makes you ask the question, well, what are they hiding? You know, and uh, when I look at some of the Egyptian stuff and the, the connections to, you know, the alphabet and everything else, I can see why. It's like sort of like there's a slow story that goes right the way back to the dawn of human consciousness, you know, and Christianity is not as unique as it likes to think it is. It's, <laughs> it's a long history that goes right the way back, and it plays its part. It's, it's, it's played a very important part, too. Mm -hmm a part that still retains its importance in the sense that it's still got liturgy and ritual. It's still living. And I think, frankly, that although it needs renewal, it needs to be um, more understanding, particularly of the divine feminine and all of that, um, I think it's very important that it retains that role to a certain degree, you know? Well, how because do you... Uh... Oh, sorry. Keep going. Did not mean to. <laughs> if we if we learn, if we if we actually uh, become separate from the the liturgical ritual mythological aspect of our lives, I think that could end up destroying civilization. I, I really do. Mm -hmm. Because then we become just purely material beings, you know, and that's no good. That's no good at all. That's where we're where we're at. there's there's that dichotomy that we were kind of talking about before that um, that that we're in we're seeing ourselves in a very pivotal time um, where we can easily go into that and step into that one foot we're kind of towing the line um, and but at that same time due to the internet and due to this mass communicative properties that we have we are also towing the line of being able to take a turn, take a stride, finally maybe step outside this path that we have been on for uh, at least 500, 600 years since the Protestant Reformation, the, the King James situation, yeah. you know, like that was a huge, yeah. like that was a huge push to be where we are. But, you know, I think, I think, you know, another thing too, talking about the true ancient religions and understanding is celestial and the myths themselves, the stories told about a lot of times the sky and, and what's happening um, on a cosmic level. So, you know, there's help. interesting point you should say there because that comes back to linguistics again. Um, I noticed one thing about the whole UFOs um, side of things. Okay, mm. um, we have these profound um, experiences in various you know shapes and forms. And we call them aliens. We call them UFOs, aliens, you name it. But if you look at the word alien... Starts with the name. Um, there's something curious <laughs> about it, okay? Because in, 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 in Middle Eastern linguistics, um, there is a, the 16th letter of the Hebrew, Egyptian, and, um, Hebrew, Egyptian and uh, Phoenician alphabets is, called, is, is actually the letter, what we call the O, and it's symbolic of the pineal gland, okay, which is between the eyes, but inch back on the nose, which, of course, is what, you know, when, once it's been um, um, sensitized, it leads you into all sorts of mystical and profoundly altered states. But that letter in those languages is called L-I-N. L-I-N. Dyslexic, I can see that L-I-N is a reversal of alien, the pin. Oh, 
Oh, okay. okay. No, basically what you've got is a subjective experience. We're not looking at unidentified flying objects. They're within. Now, that's a very small key to the whole thing, but there's much more that I'm writing about at the present time as I say that. Um, and it's very, very profound. That, I'm getting so many visuals from that. I mean, that that is incredibly profound. Um, it, that, that's a, that's an incredibly deep uh, deep spin on a lot of a lot of it. And we love ufology around here. Actually, it's funny because that we are talking about this, and it does sink right in. Because on the show, we we host deep dives monthly, monthly topics. So that way, you know, it's not just a podcast where we have all, you know, random so on and so forth. We, we try to get it to get very narrow so we can pull on the silver thread throughout, throughout yeah. the alternative history. Anywho, these two months we've grouped together with experiences of people's paranormal experiences or UFO, ufological experiences, but then we wanted to tie in and sprinkle in earthen energy um, and things like sacred sites and resonance and how they cross correlate with each other. And now what you're, what you're, you know, when we talk about resonance and sound, these things that are literally charging our bodies, having these profound experiences, possibly even vibrating the pineal glands and in the glandular system alone, which is really interesting when you say that you have glandular issues in the past with your thyroid um, and then your connection to the resonance because that's connected to your throat. And so then you find yourself walking this this line of talk, you know going deep down something that is so real and so spiritual and so heavenly and celestial and all the things whatever you want to call it your your throat the resonance is directly connected to this passion this work and this this life that you've led and it that's almost ironic in a sense uh, but it's beautiful it's so beautiful <laughs> i was about to say it's it's beautifully ironic um <laughs> I was somebody once offered to cure me of my thyroid disease, and I turned around and said, no, thank you very much. And they were really shocked, as if I was being ungrateful. And I said, look, why do you think I was given it in the first place? It's my, it's my entry card. It's my, it's my entry into the nightclub, I, I, and I'm not going to give up a good, the good life of that, thank you very much. I might pay a price for it, you know, in terms of the attacks I get and God knows what else, but hell, the stuff that's coming through is, is so profound. Wow. Um, the only thing I feel um, uh, sorry about is that I have to put my name on the book cover when it comes <laughs> up because I don't feel that what's been given to me is mine. Mm -hmm. I really, do, I, I really feel very deeply about that, you know. Um, but I can't turn around and say, as told to David Elkington, because it was in a way, but yet it's come through me from the inside not from the outside you know what i mean mm. that that's that inner that so talking about what you were talking about like if ufo experiences are, are happening when you're just something aligns with you the pineal gland is having its expression um that that dmt inside your brain is being released um you know, and then people have these like experiences where they where they're getting abducted or they feel like they've been taken away 
And when they come back, they have extracurricular knowledge. They have extra mathematical knowledge, or they're just able to see things in a in a lightened veil of sorts. I'll give you something else as well. This is really interesting. I'm, I'm writing about this in my latest book. Um, in the Norse mythology, the senior god of the Norsemen, uh, Woden or Odin. Mm. Okay, we're all very familiar with him now, thanks to absolutely. <laughs> okay, here's one thing you probably don't know. Um, but you should get everybody to check this out because it's Let's really do it. Yes. Okay. He crucifies himself for nine days and nine nights over the abyss so that he can peer into the abyss, the abyss, mm. and he can, he can actually work, he can, in his agony, he can peer and he can actually discover the nature of runes. I.e. written script. Oy. So he's having a shamanic experience. And then he's on the he's on the edge of death. And then he pulls back and he's able to pull language down. Okay? Oh. So deep. Now then, everybody's having these extraordinary experiences of being abducted, of being taken away. And our cultural conditioning has said. It's being done by by them out there. But perhaps we should reconfigure ourselves to say it's being done by them in here. That's hermetic. Instead of, actually, <laughs> yeah, instead of actually being terrified of it, that's an interesting word in itself. Terrified means, you know, it's the word terra, meaning the earth. Oh. Yeah. Okay, terra firma. Yeah, and then deified or, or something. Yeah, like Absolutely. the five, the okay. unison of the yeah, Terra yeah, and you. Yeah. Wow. You've got it. You've got it. Okay. Instead of being terrified, we should learn to be joyful about the whole thing. Just kind of let go. Just kind of enjoy it. Laugh your head off. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Just really, really laugh, laugh, laugh. Because that's <laughs> what the gods want you to do. They want you to, in your laughter, in the midst of your joy, you will see everything, you know? And this is what's so extraordinary is the very words we've got that we use and we've, we've put together in, in books called dictionaries. <laughs> That's the archaeology, not just of our past, but of our consciousness. It's the fossil record. Start looking into the origins of words because, believe me, you'll have the greatest fun. <laughs> I, I tell everybody I, I meet. You want to you want to actually go to sleep uh, happily every night. Read a book, but don't read any book. Don't read the Bible. Don't read a detective story. Don't read the newspapers. Read a dictionary. Take a Ooh. book. Oh. Take take a part of it. You know, take take whatever book Chambers, Webster's, Oxford, you name it, and just look into the words and look at what they say. Look about look at the etymologies, the origins of those words. The more you look into it, the more you see the connections between words in English, French, Latin, Greek, Hebrew. You'll begin to your your mind will begin to expand. Mm-hmm. You'll be like that drop of oil, uh, that drop of oil on water. Oh. You know, boom. And once you've got the ability to see language, you've also got the ability to use it. And when you can know how to use language, then you change the world. That's magic. Confucius said, when words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom. 
that we're in that when the yes. Western political system is exactly what it is. Exactly. You're in that now, you know? And all these wonderful rappers and people who are kind of, they're, they're, they're trying to express themselves yes. through the music of the words, but get them to expand their vocabularies yeah. and see words what they are. Get them to start using medieval words. I know that sounds really absurd, but get them to you start using them so people then feel inspired to go back in history to look at the meanings of those words, and suddenly you will actually wake people up. The cohesion of this, like this modern music uh, that 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 we have, which is beautiful, and the use of digital. See, because I'm a musician, yeah. I, I make, I'm, I have play guitar, play keyboards, all the things. For the longest time, wow. I said, I said, no, I'm not going to do computer music. I don't want to do computer music. I don't want electronic music. But inevitably, as I get further down the road of understanding music theory and things and and finding ourselves in this computer age, I make so much computer music now. But it's like this, it's like, it's a sound that was always there. It's so natural for us to hear the pad sounds, the wall, because it's literally what synthesizers are, is they're emulating a current waveform, and they're just manipulating electricity, which has always been here. We just funnel it to ourselves. And so that takes the sound that's literally happening celestially all the time. That's why electronic music is so natural, and it's so easy for us to understand. It's like sometimes it sounds alien right the but that can be a literal heartbeat of a different geographical location emulating from you know, the somewhere other well, the huh. other thing as well is that, 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 that there's nothing original in in human invention we merely <laughs> copy what's already yes. there in the universe yes. around us i mean i've noticed that with london subway trains you know i, I don't know if it's the same in new york but um over the summer, I walked past an apple tree, and there was an apple on the ground, and it was rotting, and some flies had, had sprouted their eggs in it. And I saw a maggot, you know, um, beginning to make its way through the hole. <laughs> and then I go onto the underground, and it's the same thing. As the trains disappear down the tunnel, it's like maggots going down the tunnel. It's like, you know... Um, I mean, is there a saying in New York about getting um, taking a maggot to the Big Apple? I don't know, but but l let's see. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, you can't you can't actually say that we've invented anything that's really original. All we can do is reflect nature, and it's the same with music. You're you're merely taking a bus ride on a vibration, and you might well be expressing it in your own particular language. But the vibration was there before you, and it'll be there after you, you know? And that's what's so amazing about words is that, um, you know, as I said to you, we, we've got to start kind of pushing this itinerary where we have words that, that kind of mean more to people. Let's kind of expand our vocabulary. Tell your friends that if they limit their vocab, they're going to limit their understanding. We need to widen it more, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you free everybody. And if you want to escape the matrix, all you've got to learn to do is two things. Understand language and understand how to laugh. Because yes. the more you be in terms of understanding, the more you will laugh. 
There's a great, there's a great uh, joke over in this country. Um, it's one of my favourite jokes, okay? But it tells you about, about what language can do. It's quite mischievous, okay? Maggie Murphy goes to the doctor. She says, doctor, doctor, I've forgotten to take my contradictory tablets. He says, you're ignorant. She said, that's right, three months. <laughs> now, you couldn't have understood that joke if you didn't understand the meanings of those words, okay? You couldn't have understood that joke if you couldn't see the punning nature of the language, and it's made you laugh. That's the joy of language. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, and it's so it's so uh, funny, too, because she goes to the doctor to tell her about, like, hey, you know, I purposefully not been taking <laughs> yeah. these contradictory pills. I know you want me to. I know it's contradictive that I'm not, but uh, here we yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> You're but ignorant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? It's like it's that's what's so great about language, about slang language. Mm-hmm. I mean, the slang of... Um, Upper East Side, for instance, let alone East End of London. I mean, it's amazing some of the language that comes out. Um, yes, there's a there's a, there's a, a, a a kind of a lingo in London that's dying now called Cockney rhyming slang. Wow, uh, you know, it's a beautiful way of of expressing things. And um, you you want to go up the stairs, you're going up the apple and pears. Okay, so somebody says, "Oh, I'm going to go up the pears." It means I'm going to go upstairs because it rhymes with apples and pears. It, it comes from the old trading. Silk Road language. <laughs> yeah, when, 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 we were, when, when we were a world empire and everything came to London, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I was at a party once and I said to somebody, I said, look, um, uh, I haven't seen uh, uh, Robert around for quite some time now, you know. For about ten years or so, what what's going on? He said, "Oh, they said he's got married." I said, "Oh, that's jolly good." I said, um, "Can you possibly send him my congratulations?" And they said, "Yeah." They said, "A bit of misery though. He's he's. It's turned out he's a Jaffa." I said, "Jaffa? What 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 do you mean Jaffa?" And they looked at me and they said, "You know, uh, there's one of those seedless oranges. He's seedless. In other words, they couldn't have children." <laughs> And he's sad about that. Yeah, very sad. But but it was a very funny moment because I suddenly thought, oh, gosh, I'm in a community where they're now talking pure lingo in rhyming terms, and you've got to understand it. It's a bit like going to Papua New Guinea where they speak pidgin English. Mm-hmm. If you stay there for a few days, you get used to it very quickly because you can understand where they're going. Mm-hmm. Now, take that back two or 3,000 years when when communities were beginning to meet each other through trading, like the Phoenicians traveling around the, the Mediterranean and coming to Britain and elsewhere, they must have met somehow. That language has its meaning. Mm-hmm. That's how it spread. That's how those meanings spread. So take your words today and gradually shrink them to go back. As you go back through history, mm-hmm. you begin to see where they, they originate. Okay? They still have a story to tell. And that story is there to be seen in churches, cathedrals, in the form of acoustics. Oof, yes. And I lo- okay, so three kind of major points I would like to get in uh, during this conversation. Um, the first one is the your your research, your uh, gnosis on like the connection of sacred sites, like how 
what types of pathways they're connected through, like some sort of Buckminster Fuller map situation or what have you, um, and then a potential connection to the caverns and, and like a potential uh, uh, cavernous connection um, because we know that pyramids are built on tunnels, so on and so forth, and there's so many more underground places and then talking about crystal importance, resonance importance, and different influences of mining and so on and so forth, alchemical processes, yada, yada, yada. Um, the second thing would be really cool to kind of touch on the green man a little bit um, and and these connections of, of, of uh, those archi- architectural standpoints, if you will. And then also the, to at the end, maybe going over the, uh, the new thing that, that you're working on that is so... So intriguing, as much as you want to cover on that. Um, anyways, <laughs> I <laughs> back to the, to the first thing. How are they connected? <laughs> How are they connected? What, what, what's going on with that? It's an interesting one, isn't it? If we go back to uh, our story of the origins of humanity emerging from the cave, it seems to me that if we emerge from that environment, that there's some kind of part of us that is still linked to that. We might think we're very modern, we're very advanced, but actually, if you stand above the whole, um, you know, timeline of history, we're actually not that advanced, and we're certainly not that modern at all. We are merely the last few seconds on the clock in terms of the Earth as a, you know, a, a living, thriving being. You know, so we think we're great, but actually. Mm. I'm sorry, but we're not. <laughs> Is that humbleness that's going to get us somewhere, though? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. As a, as, a, as, a, as a friend of mine once said, he said, "Shut up for Christ's sake!" So I'm trying to be humble. Um, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> but, but but actually, you know, the thing is, is that um, we are trying to reach out to find out our origins. But the problem is, is that our, our origins are being somewhat kind of, um, I think, to a degree, the, the idea of pure thinking these days is looked down upon because everything's got to be so, so academic. It's got to be so organized in terms of evidence, which is, as, mm-hmm. is very, very right. And valid, indeed. It's valid, indeed. But the problem is it's the interpretation of that evidence. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We're using logic to limit our experience of the world, whereas we should be using it to expand our experience of the world, okay? Um, There was a famous British comedian called Spike Milligan who said his great ambition in life was to rise beyond logic, which I think is wonderful. That's what we should be doing. We should be reaching out. But we're using our academic knowledge to work purely within our civilizational Mm-hmm. idea of who we are that's not good because that will bring us down in the end that will turn us inwards not outwards and um i don't think that's that's terribly encouraging in terms of the connections between things we we've yet to make any significant links in terms of the use of materials for all of these places that were built very early on in our civilizations but it is profound that we seem to co- to have cottoned on to the use of crystals and so on and so forth i mean um 
your viewers are going to ask, well, why crystals? Well, I'll give you a simple um, example. Um, take a piece of rock quartz, white quartz, um, place it next to a window, uh, about sort of three foot away, if you like, and then take a, a daffodil bulb and put it beneath the window and the uh, piece of quartz, equidistant, central, you know, to, to the both, and then watch it grow. It will not grow towards the light. It will grow towards the crystal. Mm. Wow. <laughs> okay. So that's telling you immediately there's something to this, okay? Um, and that's why they were used for, for sacred sites, etc. And their acoustical properties are really just amazing, actually. So, you know, this all has its effect. That and many other aspects into the into the bargain, which I describe in the book. So, you know, it might well be that we are fully aware that we come from the earth, um, but the, 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 the hidden fact in all of this is that we ourselves contain constituents that come from the earth. Okay? Um, I have a theory that um, the reason why the brains of, of mummies were removed... Mm-hmm had to do with, with location. Because there is no, no reason at all why a mummy's brain should have been removed, because when a person dies, if you lay them down, you know, for a coffin, sarcophagus, you name, you name it, the brain's really going to rot down, and it's going to turn into precisely two and a half tablespoons full of, of, of liquid, which will reside in, the, in the, the bottom cranium part of the brain. Okay? So it's not going to do any damage. So why did the Egyptians take a hook and bung it through the, the nose and then, you know, crack open that part of the, the skull and then using a hook, remove the brain? I, I have a theory on that. Uh, just, I think, maybe for uh, not cannibal, I don't want to say cannibalistic purposes, but, you know, for for obtaining that knowledge of that, that person of that high of that hierarchical, you know, party, um, eating the brain of somebody powerful might give you that same power or be able to ingest some of that knowledge. Well, the Egyptians believed that the mind resided in the heart. Oh. So wow. basically, um, that's the end of that brain thesis, I'm afraid to say. So, you know, good one, because I have to say that's something I'd I thought about years ago. Um, but then I found that out. I thought, hang on, what's going on here? And then I was working on an aspect of, um, you know, uh, echolocation and location and what, what roots us to the earth. And it's right there. It's right there at the center of the whole problem. At your nose, between the eyes, about an inch back, there's a piece of magnetite. And gradually, as you're born, it's with you. And as you, as it, as you, as you begin to grow and you know, your bones become a lot harder and a lot less softer, it begins to crystallize. And that gives you your sense of direction of being here and where you are. It's how birds navigate the earth, okay? It, they use it to, 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 to view magnetic waves and, and all of that acoustically, as do whales and dolphins, etc., etc. okay? So by removing that, you're actually removing the body's 
being rooted to the earth. But of course, you had the supplementary problem then of, oh dear, we've cracked open the brain cavity, we'd better remove it. Because a soggy body means that you're going to have a destroyed body that's going to be useless for modification. So there you go. Wow. Uh, that's that's fascinating, especially uh, for, for multiple reasons. One, just this morning I was talking about the magnetite clusters in our brain to some of the people on the farm and because we were talking about dolphins and whales. And I was like, well, they're one of the one of the few mammals that have like actual magnetite clusters in their brain because not every animal does. Um, yes. But to the scale that some others do, I think it, it might it might exist. But we have large magnetite clusters in the brain and it has fascinated scientists for quite some time. Um, but it does make sense, especially, you know, that we are, we, we emerge from the caves at some point, you know, having that mining connection and the, um, you know, some might even say that a real dowser, you know, the bigger the magnetite cluster in your brain, the, the, the better dowser you're going to be in working with these different types of dowsing tools. And if it di directly is connected to the pineal gland, then, you know, <clears throat> the more magnetic energy coming through that might experience um, these that type of like UFO, UFO type of experience we were talking about before or paranormal experience. Um, and so tying that with the... A special location, you know, that's that might be magnetized naturally from the earth and then connecting with with our body and brain and then having heightened visions or experiences or connections to other dimensions. It's just fascinating. I think there's a lot there that goes into, you know, what we've been talking about, really. I think it's I think I think the connection is a very um, intimate one. I think it's one that needs to be investigated a lot more closely and intimately. Um, I think that we are going up a false trail by saying that it's out there. Um, I profoundly come to um, think um, that when we look up into outer space uh, at night, that actually what we're looking at is a construct. Now, this is probably a bit far out, but I'm going to say it all the same. I think that what's up there is a reflection of what's in here. You know, I think we are like that viscous on water. Half fill a jar, okay, and if you fill it exactly halfway, okay, the line that determines what is empty and what is full is that viscous on the water. That is us. We can go one way or the other. You know, I, I love it. I love it. I, I, I'll share an experience that makes me really resonate with this story. Um, I was at the coast in Oregon where we have bioluminescent algae that comes only one, one time a year. Wow. And, oh, man, it is beautiful. I highly recommend anybody please go check it out uh, on, on the coast. It's so cool. But we go out, and it's 100% um, a full moon out, so it's just bright. Yeah. The whole beach is bright. The tide is way out there. So you're able to walk about almost a quarter mile out into the water. And I'm just enjoying my time, and I look down, and I, I'm like, wow, the stars are incredibly bright because they're completely being reflected on the water. 
but it was bioluminescent algae that was like making these like interesting shapes, constellations that literally looked like stars to the point where I was looking at the water and I was looking up at the sky and I, I had a hard time differentiating the two because it was nighttime. And if you look out where the water goes, the water eventually meets the sky and they create, you know, they create their, their, their match, you know, and it's the most, it's stunning. And that's why we're addicted to sunsets and everything. And I was like, this is, and so I, I wipe my hands through the water and there's a trail, a glowing trail of bioluminescent algae behind my hand. And it's just a, it's a tail of this, like, it looks like a comet tail kind of, right. It's like, and they're blue. Anyways, I, I love that. I love the reflection because you know, there's, it's, it's completely hermetic, you know, it's, it's, it would be as above, so below in all, in all of that sense in a contained situation, you know, the, the stars are so fixed, right? They have their workings. It's like a clock. I think we live inside of a clock, some huge <laughs> celestial clock that works on, you know, the gears and the turnings, these different sizes, they have their function, they have their movement, everything moves, but it's still within a one working body with the inner gears. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's really profoundly beautiful. It's, um, it's remarkable. And, and I find it just extraordinary that, you know, um, I, I read years ago, Professor David Bohm had performed an experiment with plasma now, plasma is the superheated state of gas um, that basically makes up 99.9% of the universe's mass, okay? And he did some experiments with this where he threw his own consciousness at it, and it responded. So the implication wow. was that it's consciousness, okay? So mm -hmm. if it's consciousness, therefore, in consciousness, ultimately, nothing i.e., two words, no thing, is impossible. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Words are an expression of the infinite. Okay, so, so immediately you've got this stunning concept of no thing being absolutely impossible. It's great, isn't it? It's ever everlasting goodness of our reality. I have to introduce you really quick. Dan has popped in to the chat. Um, this is this is the Dan Inaki Dan. This is my main man. Um, and this Hi, is Dan. David. How's it going? How you doing, David? <laughs> Sorry, man. No, it's fine. <laughs> Well, there we go. You're in the infinite conscious state, my dear chap. <laughs> <laughs> you are widening your experience of the of the inner world. I can't blame you. Yeah. I had to wake up first before I could pop on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you think that's what God said at the beginning of the creation? Yes, I do. <laughs> I think, and then after he was on the seventh day, he rested and kicked his foot up his feet up and made his wife rub his feet and was like this is the good life there we go yeah i think <laughs> i'm making right. some dinner <laughs> whoa <laughs> and on the eighth day they partied i can see it now <laughs> yeah. the eighth day is a sacred day absolutely um i think that's the hidden day you know 
Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> we, yeah. The invention of weeks is relatively new. Very, very new. I've got a friend who's just written a major paper on it, on it and, um, you know, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very, very new indeed. The whole seven-day week thing, it's merely another box within which to frame humanity, you know? Is this significant, and, though, uh, the, you know, it having the correlation to the seven, uh, you know, like the seven notes in the musical scale uh, and stuff like that? So if, doesn't the week, the seven-day week came from ancient Greek, Greece, if I'm not mistaken? No, we're, we're not sure. Um, it seems it may have come from Rome um, via Alexandria in around about the first or second century B.C., but before then, we had 10 days in a week. Um, but um, it's a curious thing because, of course, in the book of Daniel, it talks about 70 weeks of years, which, again, is talking about seven-day weeks. So um, a lot more research needs to be done on that. But mm -hmm. Daniel only goes back to, uh, I think, you know, 185 uh, BC, I should say. Um, it's it's a curious thing, this there seems the world was run on 500-year cycles, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh. oh. Sorry. Which is interesting. Yeah. We're in the middle of one right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting what, what comes to fruit, you know? The, the old mythologies, the old histories, they, they have their resonances with us today, you know? And we ignore them at our peril. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, I think this would be a fun segue to go into um, the Green Man and what you just mm. touching on because uh, I heard I heard you talking on a a couple's show. It was a video based show on um, on YouTube. Can't remember the name of them, but they were they seemed like a really nice couple. And you did a couple shows with them. One of them was dedicated to the Green Man, and that kind of like opened up this this other parallel that kind of ties into a lot of things that we've talked about here on the show. And um, I thought your viewpoints and your research on it was really uh, awesome and deep and was hoping we can go into that a little bit right now. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, you're talking about Lauren and Paul at the Koyamungi Institute. Yes. Um, great guys, by the way, uh, you must get in touch with them. Um, they're, what they're doing is remarkable. Um, but so Laura is Laura Lee, who back in the eighties, uh, nineties, had a nationwide radio show called Conversations for Exploration. And um, it really went some. It was amazing. It was, uh, it was great. I mean, you had all the, the breakthrough stuff on it, at the, you know, of the time, which was interesting. But in terms of the Green Man, the Green Man's fascinating because, of course, you look at the Green Man uh, and you see them quite often in cathedrals and elsewhere throughout the, the, the Europe and else, you know, Middle East, and I think there, there are some in America, um, but they're fairly modern. But what you see is basically the the figure seems to be yawning, and branches and leaves seem to be coming out of the mouth and out of the nose, and and it struck me immediately that what we've got here are expressions of the divine creative word, you know. Um, and it, I, I was fascinated by this because. The earliest um, known green man that we've come across so far is the Egyptian god Osiris, 
and it goes back to oh good what two three thousand BC, and he's portrayed as the, the green god. Now some sort of it's the green of death. Well, I don't think it really matters because you know a compost heap is full of greenness, and what comes out of it is more greenness. You know, mm. it's it, it's kind of like the the again that that that. That thing we've got that there's a, there's a, a, a fine line between life and death, is there? It's kind of like we need death to live and we need we need life to die, you know. <laughs> it's we, we've been conditioned to think that there's a separation between the two, but is there really? What happens if you put the barrier away and you know perhaps the the green man is telling us remove that barrier. You know, um, and that's what I found I found interesting about the connections of the Green Man with uh, the legend of Robin Hood. You know, Robin Hood is also portrayed as being green. Mm-hmm. His his enemy, um, Guy of Gisborne, is always portrayed as either wearing brown or red. Now, what's interesting is that in the Egyptian myth of Osiris, Osiris's wicked brother Set, uh, who went on to become the Christian Satan. Okay, he's always mm-hmm. <coughs> portrayed as a red man because he's he's the god of wild places. He lives in the in the sun exposed areas of desert, so he, of course he's got red skin. So of course he's wild. He's kind of ferocious. He's he's kind of uh, ignorant. Okay, he doesn't have the knowledge that Osiris has. So so it's fascinating. You've got that dichotomy between the brothers who are twins. Now, if you then transpose yourself to the boat of millions of years that goes around the Earth in Egyptian mythology, and at the centre of that boat you have the sun god Ra. And Ra, in order to rise every morning, has to actually overcome the serpent of chaos, which in Egyptian mythology is a totally negative principle. It is not personified. Okay, it is called Apophis by the Greeks or Apep by the uh, uh, Egyptians, but it literally means chaos. It means disorder. In other words, in modern terms, it's entropy. It's the it's the it's the decline of order. Okay, the kind of thing we're going through culturally at the moment and politically. Okay, we're going through entropy. It's it's the disorder that brings about more order. So in that boat. The one god who is to be seen at the prow of the boat with his spear, like St. Michael and the dragon, spearing the sermon of chaos to death so that the sun god can rise and give us life, light, and everything else, you'd think it would be Osiris because, of course, he's the hero god. He's the god of knowledge, god of wisdom. But, oh, no, you'd be wrong. The god who does the deed is set and you think to yourself, gosh, this is extraordinary. And of course, it's very simple, isn't it? Set is overcoming his own ignorance. He is becoming self-aware in the act of overcoming chaos. And in that moment, he becomes his brother, Osiris. Okay? So we've got a merging mm-hmm. of the gods, and therefore... You've got a merging of the gods per se in that boat, and therefore you could say that actually the Egyptian 
uh, pantheon of gods were not gods at all. They were aspects of the one. It's even better than monotheism. <laughs> no favors. Okay? Love that. So the Egyptians, you know, we call them heathens and pagans and all these these terrible words, but actually they were far from it. They were a remarkable race of people. And that 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 symbol of the green man has survived through throughout European history. And it's just a I love the green man. It's just <laughs> you know, I mean, you go into a cathedral and you see the stonework, the fine carved stonework of a Gothic cathedral. It's always trees and leaves and nature and forests. You're walking into a forest of stone. And there amongst the forest, you can see this mysterious green man, or sometimes you can see the green lady, you know? Mm. It's like a reflection of what's outside. It's just so profound. And I see, uh, you know, quite often see, you know, um, tours going on there with um, fundamentalist Christians and stuff saying, oh, He's a god of wickedness and evil and everything else. And I'm thinking to myself, well, no, how can he be? What Christian um, in the 1200s who built this cathedral would allow evil into the cathedral? It makes no sense. This is mm-hmm. part of something hidden. It's the, it's the hidden aspect of the divine. It's the hidden aspect within the Christian liturgy that has survived. This is the glory. This is what needs to be restored. Um, you know, we need to move away from literalism to a much mm-hmm. more acute and symbolic yet metaphysical view of what Christianity was in the first place. And the Green Man does it for me. You know, it's just beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, to me, the Green Man symbolizes the. Uh... The green, which is the heart chakra and the land of the earth, and it symbolizes nature and our connection to nature, and um, so, totally. so like the, the the removal of the green man is kind of the, our removal from nature, also. Couldn't agree more with you. I think that's absolutely right. I do not believe that Christianity at the beginning ever saw itself as being superior to nature or inferior, it, nature was very much a part of it, and it was very much a part of, of, of you know, the liturgy of, of Christianity in the beginning. But it was written up by the Romans at the Council of Nicaea and before, during, and after that, and, and it became an empire, if you like, a colonial religion. Um, and I have to say that in the present culture wars, if anything is colonial and needs to be gotten rid of, it's that attitude. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, you know. I'm not woke, I'm not politically correct, but, hey, I think these kids have got a real good point when they say we must actually be rid of this stuff so that we can unite and become one people. I think it's essential we do that now, um, but I don't think we should chuck out the religion because... We must be very careful that we don't throw out the spirituality. That's the important thing, you know. And we need we need these things. I I feel very um, very strongly about that. Um, in my present project, I'm looking at the a discovery that came to me 15 years ago of a series of lead books 
books made of lead that came from caves within um, the area of northern Jordan. And it turns out that they are the earliest known Christian texts. What? Oh, <laughs> wow. But when we went live with them on uh, BBC News 24 back in 2011, within hours I was accused of having faked these things up myself and forged them, and <laughs> I've been I've been therefore been spending the past ten years getting the things authenticated. Nice. I can't say too much, but within the next few weeks there will be a probable very major announcement about them. Um, which oh. is going to transform everything. Whoa. Well, because what uh, they contain is simply staggering. It is unbelievable. And this I can tell you. We have got the smoking gun for the presence of the divine feminine within Christianity from day one. Yeah. Is it Lilith, Lilith and text? Is it about this? Okay, I'm going to let you know, and I can edit this out completely if you want, but this won't probably be posted, edited until a solid three weeks uh, because we have about three other interviews that we're going to put uh, in succession before this. So if that means, uh, you know, you want to let a little more juice out, we're more than welcome and... Uh, but also, that's crazy. This, over 10 years of trying to get things authentic, authenticated, that process because must not be easy or cheap. It's not cheap, no. We spent millions on this. Wow. And I, I, I therefore live a very, um, as you can imagine, um, constrained existence because raising that money has been very difficult. And um, But I thought to myself, well, you know, I was involved with with in this project. Still, am with 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 Jennifer, who is is my wife and now ex wife. But we're still great friends. Um, we've both been through this together. She's a remarkable lady um, who has been through so much. I get death threats on a regular basis from Christians, both in America and here. Um, they're very afraid of this because although they don't know much about it, because we haven't said much. They've kind of like gone into kind of scare mode. It's very sad because actually they should be overjoyed because what they these things announce is remarkable. It's very pro the Christian thing, but but very different, of course. I mean, the divine feminine is one uh, one aspect of it. Um, but but you know, um, these things are really beautiful because we've recently found them also in other metals. Um, some of them in solid gold. And um, Whoa. The, the site is extensive. It's really very remarkable. But you know what's so extraordinary is that 2,000 years after Christ, it's still so damn political. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like sort of, whoa, hang on a minute, you know. But we live in changing times, and we need to, we need to understand more of what's going on here. We need to actually uh, finally work out the truth of... Of, of what Christianity really was in the beginning. And what it was was profound. It was really a very remarkable movement and um, very beautiful. And I'd like to reassure any Christians li listening to this show that actually what's going to come out of this is going to transform it for the better 
in the most profound ways because the message is going to be even stronger. It is remarkable. And um, it's it's very beautiful. And wow. um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's good stuff. You know? <laughs> does does it align to some of the more Gnostic traditions or the Gnostic beliefs? I think it does. I think it explains a certain level of Gnosticism. Um, <clears throat> what it shows is that there were depths to the early Christian uh, theology, which are very profound. Um, but the thing is, is that when it became the state religion of Rome, there were secrets that were hidden away. And like anything that's corporatized, you yep. know, the management board alone becomes the elite who are allowed to, to witness those secrets, if you like. And now we're about to bust that all open, you know? Wow. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting visual floods here of what, what, what is to come and, and the anticipation is killing me. I can't wait. Um, Alchemical, alchemical secrets, secret angles, architecture even comes to mind with like the truth of this this ancient mystic religion. And I'm very, very, very curious and excited for this to come out. When when the when it does go public, what what and where are we able to like see or, or um, read these uh, text and or who's translated them and and all of I'll that get good stuff. Near the time and let you know because we need to make a, a press announcement to tell people these things exist. We need to tell them that they are reliably ancient and therefore they're to be taken very seriously. And then I need to, you know, do further work with um, members of the, the small team I have to say, right, here's what they say, here's what we, here's the context of the things, and and here's where we go from here, you know. Um, but I want people to know that it doesn't mean the end of Christianity at all. It means the a new beginning, you know. And in the context of where we're going now, I think that actually that's a really good thing. Um, I'm no judge. I'm no, I'm no um, person to to actually say here's what we should do. I'm not going to hold a gun to Christianity's head. I'm not trying to do that. Never tried to do that. I'm merely trying to say I was given the grace with Jennifer of finding these things and to bring them to the world and please do with them what you will, but please don't try to destroy them because these are very sacred texts and they have a lot of meaning for where we're going right here, right now. Book, book, then books of Enoch. <laughs> the book of Enoch has a huge amount to do with these things, believe me. Sweet. Now, that is some fantastic. Dan, were you going to say something? Sorry to cut you off, brother. I mean, uh, I've been doing a lot of work on uh, researching the tribe of Dan lately and and uh, and Jordan, Jordan, Jordan is uh, part of that too. And uh, the, the, the connection to, we're talking about the green man and Danu, I believe uh, Danu, the goddess, is uh, the feminine aspect of, like, the green man, the masculine aspect of nature. And um, uh, many correlations to different things. Mm. Not all uh, well well thought out yet, but in my head. 
ancient okay so here. i just thought it was in, you said i'm not i'm not the judge and D dan is the judge so <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of funny i think you're you know it's interesting you you're having those thoughts because um you know we're living in a world now where we're beginning to become um a lot more sensitive to other forms of life which i have to say i think is wonderful mm -hmm. it's great to see the young so sensitive about animals and insects and mm -hmm. god knows that right now you know um oh, i gotta show you my bug collection creatures. yeah these beautiful creatures that we just uh we take for granted you know oh isn't that wonderful wonderful yeah so many moths I, I find these moths just perfectly lying on the ground all over the place and then i just what? i have i have to preserve them i mean they're just they're fascinating sorry well good for you you're you're, you're memorializing them and that that's great because they play a major part in in the world around us and who we are and in mythology you'll find that these were all seen as aspects of the spirit of god and and the, of the divine and we need to get back to that divine world you know going back to the green man is going back to the divine world being all absorbing we need to get away from this materialistic science where things are either developed into weapons or into use by corporates who basically have affected the world the destruction of species and Ultimately, it'll be of us, really. Um, it's it's criminal. It really is criminal. We need to stop developing things to be thrown away, to be wasted, because if we don't, the ultimate waste product will, will be us. Um, and you see that on the battlefield every day, don't you? Um, if we could develop a much saner, um, you know, theology, as it were, of 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 life. And, and and be more respectful of it, then perhaps we might actually change who we are. Um, I think about Peter Russell and his wonderful work on consciousness, you know, um, and that is that perhaps if we were to go to schools and teach that consciousness is actually everywhere, in everything, in rocks, in wood, in, in moths, butterflies, in, in monkeys, dogs, cats, let alone you and I. Imagine the effect that that would have on children as they grow older and they, they enter the, the marketplace. Suddenly you've got a much broader idea of consciousness. People are much more respectful of even their very footfall upon the pavement. Because if a rock contains consciousness, not as much as we have, but, but it contains some, your footfall upon it, the way you walk, is, is, is the way you respect that rock. It will reflect upon you as well as upon it. Imagine that, because then you become a much more um, wholly integrated person, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. You become much more aware that you are a part of this world. You are not above it. That way you then reduce violence. Instead, you have purpose, you know? And violence, when it happens, because you'll never be rid of it, becomes merely a flashpoint. And that's it. It's over and done with. 
It's a bit like thunder out of the sky. It produces something that ultimately is good. Yeah. If, if everything, everything is seen as conscious, not just us, you know? Mm. It'll be completely com uh, the the complete cohesion that that we need. <clears throat> yeah, I think that that archetype of the green man absolutely plays such a large role in nature. You know, that separation is so strange. Like, I'm thinking, I'm getting like a visual of like the, the primary color wheel, and green yeah. itself is born of yellow and blue, just like sun and water. But you bring up, uh, you know, the red being that's the opposite side. That's the you know, and like, I wonder if we're, I don't know. There's so many, so many great connections in there during this. And, you know, when you go deep to on a deep conversation, talking about everything being associated with consciousness, we've reached a climax. You know, we were here, we're popping the bubble of like, yes, everything, no separation between anything on, on a conscious level, because you're swimming through it. You're constantly connected. You, you have the ability to go and move and touch and integrate your body into any surrounding in any place. And the only limits that we put on it are limits that we put on ourselves and limits that we have a society that builds the rules that puts these limits on it because it's not thinking about conscious cohesion between everything. And there's so many sets and borders and boundaries on it and that logic that we we're talking about, you know, making it go more inward as opposed to outward, using logic to fractalize outward as opposed to putting restraints on ourselves. It's so true and it's so heavy. And I really think that this pivotal time that we're in, I think we're going to start seeing things that you're talking about. And like this, this, this awesome reveal you guys are going to do with these texts, I think oh, it could even play a big part in, um, this this awakening that we're being a part of right now i hope so because um we certainly need it um and i i would like to kind of just launch these things into the ship of publicity um on the ocean of awareness <laughs> and pull back and let them do their stuff and just get on with the rest of my life you know because they've taken up a, an inordinate amount of it um but you know it's interesting, you know, going back to our point that back in the uh, early to mid-90s at Princeton University, Professor Bob Jarn, allied with um, his missus, um, Brenda Dunn, produced a series of experiments that showed that we cannot stand behind the, the screen and observe. They proved beyond any reasonable shadow of a doubt that we do actually influence the outcome of, of experiment. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we are now in that quantum fixation where we are a part of it. In, we cannot be the observer. We cannot play God. And I'm not even sure that mm -hmm. God could play God, frankly, because God, in creating, must therefore also be a part of it. So if we have to observe anything at all, it has to be ourselves. And Jesus says in the Gospels, you should judge yourself, not others. Yeah, sometimes I judge myself a little too much uh, if I'm not perfect at doing something, making mistakes. <laughs> I must admit I hid the two cards that spell one and zero in the closet <laughs> a long time ago, but... 
one day I might be big enough to get them out again. Probably as I lay dying in bed, you know. <laughs> and even then they'll probably read read zero one as opposed to one oh. <laughs> so um no, I mean it's you know, it's a process, isn't it? We're going through significant change. Um and it's horrifying for many people because their natural conservatism, which is the, you know, the, the, the way the human race goes, it is conservative, it does not like change. And yet we live on a planet that spins around the sun, that itself spins around the solar system and spins around the cosmos. Um, there is no such thing as no change. We're forever changing. You just have to kind of get used to it in a way, you know. Um, but this this human wants to try and stop change is an interesting one because that, to me, speaks volumes about our need for religion or spirituality. Um, and I do hold the two to be separate, by the way, um, in the sense that we are looking for that one still point wherein we cannot just observe everything but to be everything to be in the here and now eternally and infinitely you know and surely that's what the the whole idea of spirituality is about is about reaching that point where there is no movement but you're you're in the the infinite present wow i'm not sure what you guys talked about earlier um but I, I was on a podcast last night, and uh, the host asked me the question, what is consciousness? Where does consciousness come from? So I'd kind of like to post a question to both of you and see what you, got, what you have to say. I think consciousness just is. I do not think it's a chemical reaction between various aspects of the brain that gives us the illusion of thinking that we're here. I think that's absolutely absurd and extremely funny. Um, you know, I, I, I just find that so profoundly primitive um, that, um, you know, it's kind of like science going back to rubbing two sticks together to create fire, frankly. Um, I think we have to understand that in order to get to the question of what is consciousness, you have to be conscious. And that's the ultimate um, paradox, isn't it? So, so in a sense, you are, and you'll never explain it objectively, but subjectively speaking, you could have a lot of fun. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's a question that is just like constantly speculative and like, yeah, like the answer itself is, I mean, these are, these are the questions. These are the questions of life. Um, but the, you know, it's, I, I agree with David full heartedly, uh, you know, it's consciousness. It's, it is, it is absolutely everything. And then what, what we are potentially is the chemical combustion we are the manifestation in a physical form that is experiencing consciousness and maybe not the other way around but being in the human form as opposed to a moth or a dog or some sort of other familiar um you know that changes like the specific role being played 
you know, uh, I, I've, I've looked at it, you know, as like, I think we even brought it up earlier in the chat, like the, the digestion inside the body. Like if we were just as simple, like we could just be as simple as like the, the white blood cells in the blood flow of it playing the specific role. You know, there's some naughty cells over here that are getting infected and some other people are trying to fix them. And, you know, it's just a continuous digestive system. Um, and our consciousness is the play the role or like we're seeing this role that needs to be fulfilled in order to exist and us existing therefore allows, I don't know, the planet to exist or something like that. Um, Have you ever found that, 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 that um, one thing reflects always something else? I mean, I find it mm -hmm. incredibly funny that we're complaining now about democracy and and all of that, and with what we're going through upheaval-wise, politically and culturally. Yet you look at the human body, and we all think that we're just us. But if you didn't have Canada and, and a type of COVID virus within the guts, you'd be dead because you need that, that stuff to kind of digest the food in your gut. And we've recently found other things in the, in the brain, like viruses from, from eons ago that have kind of become a part of who we are because they thought, hey, we'll catch a ride on this bus. It's luxurious. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> so we'll just reshape ourselves and we'll become stairways. And they've done it very successfully. And then you kind of begin to break down the human body and think, well, actually, who is me? You know, it's like sort of, hang on, guys. We are a, a walking democracy within our own bodies because you can't survive without any of these other guys, you know? <laughs> Um, and it's like, oh, right, okay. You know, and you upset that balance, and, and, and suddenly you're going to find yourself in the hospital, and you're going to find yourself on the slab if you're not careful. You know what I mean? Oi, oi. So, so it's like sort of we are reflecting the, the, the makeup of countries, of the makeup of the planet. You know, we are merely that viscous on water again, that, that line between the half full and the half empty. We're just reflecting everything. That's consciousness. That's the beginning where we begin to then wake up and become self-aware and then think, gosh, we're on a journey. We've been captured or perhaps we've entered into this realm, you know, on purpose just to kind of experience something like a fairground ride in the great divine, you know. We want to kind of have a hair-raising time, so let's go down there. Let's have some fun. Who knows? In the, in the beginning of this conversation, did you guys uh, ref, uh, talk about how consciousness is reflective into the building of uh, these <laughs> sacred sites? We did indeed. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Again, Excellent. We, we yes, we, we've, whole... been, we've been deep down it, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and how temple is built to the construction of the body and all of that. It's great stuff. Yes. Another one for you. I mean, you're you're fully aware of the, the term the matrix. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's culturally scored across your entire state, isn't it, California? You know, that that, that extraordinary film. Which of course uh. is all based on Gnostic theology, you know, from from the first few centuries AD. But, you know, the matrix, have you thought about that word? Matrix. Yeah. Same word as mater or mother. 
Yeah, matriarchies. Yeah, I call it the mother's tricks. <laughs> okay, so where's the father's tricks in that case? Where's the patrix? Because I've looked yeah. at the dictionary, it, it ain't there. <laughs> See my point? Where's it? Yeah. Where is it? Where is it? It's gone. <laughs> That's super interesting, actually. I wonder. We've, wow. Yeah. We've got to really go searching for it, guys. <laughs> yeah, we got we got life's work ahead of us. Like, there's never. That's a great thing about the deeper you go into the, the mysteries of history and all of these these topics is there's so much that needs to get brought down and shared and communicated and worked on and worked out that, that will never there's, if you have any free time, anybody like I, I got some homework for you guys. Like if you think you're sitting around with some extra free time, like we have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, and this is, this is beautiful. I cannot wait for this, uh, for these things that you found to, to come to the surface. That's going to be amazing. And, uh, I'm honored to have really you. you know? Honored to have you on the and show beforehand, man. This is like that's. It feels like an honor. Oh, it's been great fun. It's been great fun indeed. And I'm going to leave you with a thought. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Mm. The Patrix is where you take both the red and the blue pills at once. Mm. Now there's a journey. That's a full belly. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, red, yeah. And blue, and green, yeah. right? Damn right. No, yellow, and full spectrum. Yeah, full spectrum. <laughs> yellow, yellow, and blue, and green. What's red and blue mean? Purple, purple. That's why the purple. I think the I think red and blue being purple is that symbolization of like the opposition of like that's the Satan color that's the royal color right the royal house they love their purple but that's the opposite of the spectrum of the blue and yellow and the green so that's set that's you know green yeah. man is is this and then the blue and the I want so then yeah. what's what's the uh, orange okay see that's what I'm saying with the colors that now that that's super interesting uh the, the prism aspect and optics and oh yeah we didn't even get into the stained glass stuff but we'd love, <laughs> we'd love to we'd love to ha uh, have you back you know whenever you're ready um there's so much more to go over david it's been a true pleasure hey it's been great fun and i uh, really enjoyed it and thanks guys and listen um stay in touch um i should have some um news through in about the next um month or so so, um, I mean, I say that we've had loads of delays, but um, mm -hmm. it's part of the course when you're undertaking pioneering science. But, um, <coughs> you know, we're, we're on the cusp. And then uh, once we get it out there, then we'll do something. And uh, I should be over in your neck of the woods um, once that's all out. So we'll, we'll sort something mm. out some fun. Excellent. That'd be great. But you guys take care and stay in touch, and uh, don't be afraid to email me for updates because I'm very happy to kind of just um, deliver on that. That's no problem at all, and we'll 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 carry on talking. I love it, man. All right, thank you, David. Do you have any uh, plugs that you want to give out? Any of the websites? Any information? 
I don't have any websites at the moment. I'm not on social media because of the nature of the project I'm on. It's been a pretty uh, appalling experience in many ways because of all the threats. But you know what? Every time they threaten me, I think to myself, that's great. It means I've really got something. (laughs) True. (laughs) I love that. Absolutely. (laughs) Bring it on. But you, on, guys. you guys can buy and check out his book that you can get on uh, almost any uh, platform. I think Simon and Schuster is the just the one that pops up when you type in his name on Google. And I do recommend you guys get a copy of uh, the Ancient Language of Sacred Sound. Uh, it's fascinating. It has all, all the topics that we just glazed over tonight in great detail with David's amazing writing style. So definitely swoop that. Yes. Well, thank you, David, for being here. We appreciate it. your time. Sorry I was late, everybody, Empire Tribe. But if you're not down with that, wait, wait up. up.